Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts, so let's select a game and press start. Welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have an amazing guest with me today. He's an artist. He created the show's logo. He's my roommate and my best friend. I got Avery out with me. Avery, how are you feeling? Okay, best friend of like 10 years. Let's, you know, there's there's a lot of context here, um, but I'm doing all right. Um, is that what you asked me? Yes. Okay, yeah, I'm doing all right. Good. Um, we totally did not just lose 20 minutes of recording time, and we totally didn't start over. No, it's fine. Avery, it's just so people who haven't had the pleasure of knowing you for 10 years can get to know you a little bit. There we go. What do you do, and what do you like? My name is Avery Robin Ott. I am a freelance artist slash graphic designer. I design and sell enamel pins through at Hot Soda Designs on Instagram and Twitter for as long as Twitter sticks around. Eat shit, Elon. As far as what I like, Avery loves two things, which is eating good food and collecting action figures, uh, which if anyone you can attest to, given how much I cook in the house and the copious amounts of toys around our place. I mean, I'm looking in our office right now at five shells worth of Transformers and then some, uh, a bunch of Dragon Ball Z, and that's not even the bulk of what I collect. So, You're a toy collector. What is going in your head when you are going to collect a toy? What is important to you when buying one? Okay, so yeah, I mean... Uh, when I first started collecting toys, uh, this I've, I, I recently had like an epiphany with this. So sidebar for your video game people, if you don't care about toys, I apologize, but I'm about to ramble. People can skip forward if they don't like a conversation. That, yeah, you don't have to listen to a whole podcast if it's not interesting to you. Just I'm just going to hijack the whole thing and talk about action figures. Okay. I recently got a Jim Lee Hush Batman action figure by uh, Mothex Medicom, which is a Japanese import company. They have made the perfect Batman action figure. And going back, like it's this is particularly sad because Kevin Conroy just passed away, like literally yesterday. I'm going to cry thinking about it. My first toy line I collected actively was Batman the Animated Series. All the different kind of Batman costumes, all the villains, you know, Scuba Batman and Mr. Freeze and, and what have you. But this Moffex Medicom Batman I got the other day is like the definitive Batman. It does everything that I want a Batman to do. It's got... 10 different pairs of hands for punching or grappling or whatever. He's got grappling hooks that can be extended or just locked and loaded. He's got a mean head and a stoic head. It's everything I want out of a Batman toy. And I'm realizing now 10, 20, 25 years into collecting toys that like, that's what I want is like a, a definitive, like I kind of, you know, like what else would I need from this thing? But sometimes, sometimes I just think something looks neat. Like there's a toy line called Plunderlings that's on Kickstarter and they're just little pirate gremlins. They're not attached to any sort of IP that I don't have a mind's eye view of what that should be, but it's just this company making great toys and I support it for the culture. I just like having them. I think they're neat. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of what's the best definitive version of a thing that I love in plastic form. Um, and then sometimes it's just, is it a good toy? Ideally, the answer is somewhere in the middle. 
in terms of a franchise that you are emotionally attached to in some way, what has like the most, this is a good toy? Definitely the Moth X Metacom stuff. Um, I, again, like as far as like best toy lines right now, that's definitely it. I collect a lot of Transformers, uh, specifically the Hasbro Takara Tomy Generations line and also Studio Series 86 because it might as well be the same thing. I don't have as much emotional connection to those, uh, but I just love good, like chunky, blocky robot designs. And obviously, you know, I think everyone, I think just about everybody has some sort of context for who Optimus Prime is. It's a robot that turns into something. I don't really know what else anyone could want from that. Um, but as far as like my superhero stuff, the Moffex Metacom is like, that's my bread and butter. I love that stuff. Your thing is toys. Mine is video games a little bit. That's why you're on my show to talk about a video game that means a lot to you. There's no community that likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. What is your relationship with video games like? Um, so, I mean, I have a weird relationship with video games for sure. Uh, my first game I ever remember playing, and I've definitely told you this story before, but it was Pokemon Yellow, my dad's original Game Boy, like the big clunky one. Um, again, not to get too like into it, but my dad was in and out of the house a lot when I was uh, you know, in kindergarten or so. And he would save the game for me when he was around, but when he wasn't, <laughs> when he wasn't, I was a little kid and I didn't understand the concept of saving the game. So I would get like halfway through the Elite Four and then lose. And then I would turn the game off and turn it back on. And I would be like at the beginning of Victory Road. And I was in that Groundhog Day loop for like a month. It was miserable. And honestly, I think that like broke my brain a little bit, like going forward for the rest of my life. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I definitely played a lot of Nintendo games as a kid. I had a you know Nintendo 64, played Mario 64 so much, so, so much. Um, trying to think a uh, GameCube. I was, I was a big Nintendo kid uh, up until about 2005 or six revenge of the Sith came out. I played a lot of star Wars stuff, coder, the two battlefront games, the original two, both Lego star Wars games, love those games. And then uh, I think the last, like, like the, the last thing for a while was the Arkham series. I played Arkham asylum and Arkham city. I love those games. There was something else in 2011 that I played a lot of. You said Halo Reach, right? Halo Reach. Oh, my goodness. I played Halo Reach so much. My friends and I, we would just make up games on Forge and just play them until like three in the morning. And then I'd wake up to go to, you know, ninth grade. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how I did that looking back on it. It's like I'm, I'm 26 now. And like if I don't get at least six hours of sleep, I'm a zombie in the morning. So to do that every day going into school, which is arguably the most tasking thing I've ever done for an extended amount of time. I don't know how I managed that, but I, I definitely got a lot of mileage out of Forge on Halo Reach. And like the story is fine. I, you know, whatever the game, but the game is fun. That's what matters. The social component, the multiplayer component is what sustains those games. That's understandable. You talk about Forge mode a little bit. You talked about the Lego Star Wars games. Does video games resembling the act of playing with toys appeal to you? Oh, for sure. It's a reason I don't let myself download Minecraft. I cannot imagine the kind of person that I would be. Yeah, I, I, I like creating. I've always liked, you know, fiddling with stuff. And the more I can play around with something, the, you know, I, the more I get out of it. When I was playing Halo Reach, Black and White had just recently come out, the Pokemon games. And I recreated Zekrom from Pokemon White, which is the legendary with the big electric turbine tail butt thing. I recreated that in Forge with like a spire walking up to it and it would shoot energy balls at you and stuff. I, yeah, I, I definitely get a lot out of that. And then like, 
I, I get where you're going with this. It's like I obviously ended up collecting a lot of Legos for a long time. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoy that aspect. So just please, for the love of God, never let me download Minecraft. Okay, I won't let you download Minecraft. It is not totally downloaded on my computer right now. Don't turn on my computer. Yeah, exactly. Don't turn on my computer. Light. I can just put it on there anytime I want, and I just I don't let myself out of pure self-control. Some people don't want their children to go on the computer because they don't want them to look at pornography. I don't want Avery to go on there so he doesn't play Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> what are some? Are there any other particular games besides the one that we're talking about today that you can think of that would mean a lot to you? Yeah, I. so I, we were talking about this in regards to toys. Um, like my action figures, I'm a freak about scale. So if, for instance, my Wolverine is taller than my Cyclops, we have a problem. He is a 5'3 Canadian man. So I have to have my Wolverine be shorter than my Cyclops, you know, that sort of thing. Superman and Batman should be about the same height. If we start getting into like crazy scale problems, I don't mess with it. So I'm, I'm very particular about that sort of thing. And we were talking about uh, Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Tenkaichi 3, and how that game is really broken in the sense of like a lot of characters, like you might as well not even play as if you're playing as, you know, Super Saiyan 3 Goku. It's like, what, like, what is... Dr. Jiro going to do against him or or the Frankenstein monster from Dragon Ball. Like, There's a lot of that game that doesn't make sense, but it really appealed to me as a middle schooler because I was like, oh, I know these characters well enough to know that this is accurate. It is to scale. And maybe it's not the most fun fight, but it's it's accurate. And I, I think that poisoned my brain for a good while, but I definitely, I love that game. Another one, and I know it's silly, is the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie game, the tie-in. I would just run around New York just destroying buildings just leveling them left and right i had the hulk buster which you could only have by like having a saved file from the iron man movie tie-in game so i rented that from hollywood video for like one day and downloaded it and then returned it the next day just so i could play as the hulk buster and punch buildings all day <laughs> so i don't know i i definitely gravitate towards games that are related to something that i already am like you know invested in again like the arkham games well the first two i i hated night so much but Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, uh, you know, the Paul Dini ones, the good ones. I love those things. Again, it's like, what else do you want out of a Batman game? That's kind of what it boils down to. Same way, it's like, what else do I want out of a Batman action figure? What else do I want out of a Batman game at that point? Other than doing like the Adam West dance. I think that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. The Arkham games also featured Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as the principal voice roles like that, just like in Batman the Animated Series. So you're trying to bum me out. So we're I'm not trying to bum you out. Okay. But it's I am very sad. Trying to draw the comparison to it because he was an incredible person and I'm very upset I didn't get to meet him. No. Yeah. I mean, you and I work conventions sometimes and we had the privilege to work with some of the Justice League voice actors at a recent convention. And Kevin Conroy wasn't there, but everybody there spoke extremely highly of Kevin without any prompting, not like people were around who would have to hear that sort of thing just privately. They just spoke of Kevin like that you were there a dear friend to him. And that was just been thinking about that a lot over the last day with the uh, news being out. I, uh, I don't want to cry. So um, I like Rocket League a lot, too. Rocket League's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, the same way that I have gotten you into toys a little bit, you have got me back into video games since we moved in together. The big ones being in 2018, there was Spider-Man, obviously. I uh, love that. I, I breathe it. I played the hell out of that game. Like I would just swing around for hours. And again, like 30 costumes in that game. What else do I want out of a Spider-Man game at that point? And then the uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, those came out within like a month of each other. And, you know, I just would I would sit there and watch you play the story mode on Red Dead Redemption and just crying over you playing through Arthur's story. And then I would log in and I would just 
shoot the molester guy in the woods a bunch. I would just like <laughs> reload the save file a bunch and blow him up with sticks of dynamite. So, it, you know. Which again speaks to the toyification of video games. You're more into the creative stuff. There's a robust photo mode in Spider-Man and you do that more than you actually. Yeah, it's, it's like posing action figures to me. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then you just like to do the open world stuff in Red Dead Redemption 2 where you're just engaging with this world and causing chaos. I was a big that. Saints Row kid. So, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, hey, you have a you have Grand Theft Auto on your on your PlayStation, right? I have Grand Theft Auto Five on this computer. I have Grand Theft Auto Five on PlayStation. 3. Yeah, I'll see you in two weeks. So I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go do that. Um, coming back a little bit to the power scaling conversation in Budokai Tenkaichi, because I also played those games, and to contextualize it a little bit for the listeners, it was like the Dragon Ball characters couldn't fly because flying didn't become a real thing until you got to Dragon Ball Z, and characters that were giant were just harder to hit because they're heavier characters. There was no balance to that game. Balance is a very important thing when designing a video game. And you can even see that in the current Dragon Ball video game, Dragon Ball Fighters. But Budokai Tenkaichi, that philosophy was just kind of thrown out the window for the sake of kind of lore accuracy. Exactly. I would just play as Broly and I'd just kick the shit out of those toddlers. Like, you know, the Dragon Ball Goku and, and Krillin. I would just like yeet them across the stadium. There was no problem. So... Yeah, no, it was just very fun. Like you could play as Hercule and Hercule could just do virtually no damage because he is canonically the weakest of those characters. He had a little jetpack though, which I just thought was cool, you know, to yeah. simulate flying because he couldn't fly when everyone else could. No, those are great games. I Oh man, you could play as a great ape. Like, I, could, I could just be a great ape and just like, again, kick the shit out of kids. No, so. you could pick up to five characters uh, to have in a match. And what I would do is I always pick characters who could transform into great apes. So if I was starting to lose it all, I would just transform into a great ape and you couldn't really do too much damage to me anymore we are going to pivot the conversation to pokemon a little bit because you have pointed out pokemon as the specific video game franchise that means the most to you uh but before we get too deep into that conversation i do feel like we have to talk about pokemon as this general entity even though this is a highly popular video game franchise i do feel like it does need an explanation the games became an immediate phenomenon because it provided multiple satisfying gameplay loops in an extremely simple package Pokemon, an abbreviation of Pocket Monsters, began as a series of portable video games on the original Game Boy. The original subtitle for the series, Gotta Catch Them All, encouraged you to collect as many of the titular Pokemon as possible. You would also train the Pokemon you captured in battles to make them stronger, with most of them capable of evolving into bigger, stronger Pokemon. Pokemon traditionally evolved by leveling up via battle, though some evolve under special conditions such as forging a strong friendship with you or being given special items or stones. You can carry up to six Pokemon at a time with you, and your character traditionally progresses through the games by battling eight gym leaders who are scattered throughout the regions and give you badges to mark your progress on your journey. Collecting all eight badges enables you to take on the ultimate challenge, the Elite Four. Defeating the Elite Four makes you the Pokemon champion and marks your status as the best Pokemon trainer in the land. But the brilliant feature that turned Pokemon into a global phenomenon was a social component. Multiple versions of a game are released concurrently with Pokemon exclusive to each version. Meaning if you want to catch them all, you should connect with people who have the other version of the game. Originally, this was done via a Game Boy peripheral called the Link Cable that connected two devices together so you could trade Pokemon and also battle one another. It was a brilliant strategy. And without that social component, I doubt the franchise would be even remotely as successful. The games are certainly plenty of fun on their own, but that is absolutely an X factor. 
Pokemon is the third best-selling video game franchise of all time, only outsold by Mario and Tetris, selling approximately 440 million units across all video games, and this doesn't even count the 1 billion downloads for mobile phone games like Pokemon Go, Pokemon Unite, Pokemon Masters EX, and so on. It is also estimated to be the highest-grossing media franchise of all time. The anime series is the most popular adaptation of a video game ever, having now run for over 1,200 episodes. The Pokemon trading card game is the most successful trading card game series. There's numerous animated films as well as the live-action Detective Pikachu, currently the second-highest-grossing video game adaptation after Warcraft. All that being said, what is your relationship with Pokemon like as an IP beyond the game we're discussing today? Uh, so my dad, as you know, is a nut job. Uh, he bought Pokemon cards for me before I was even born. I had binders of that original set, you know, like your classic Charizard and whatnot. Um, I watched the anime through Johto, I think. It was the Kanto stuff and then the Orange League, which is the islands, right? With Tracy? Yeah, the stuff with Tracy. Tracy, yeah. Oh, because he's an artist. I just got that. I literally just put that together just now in real time. <laughs> Tracy Sketchit was his name. Wait, really? Yeah. No, I didn't pay attention. Okay. Anyway. I had this is this is a seasonally appropriate one. So did you ever watch the Pokemon Christmas Winter Vacation? Yes. I would kill someone to track down a copy of that because it is like just pure serotonin to me. I just man, like what is more delightful than Pokemon running around in the snow for doing Christmas antics? Uh, I had a VHS of that and um, obviously had the Pokemon movies. I'm trying to think there was, I, again, I played everything though. I played Coliseum, XD, Ranger, uh, Mystery Dungeon. I completely missed that. That and Pokemon Sun and Moon, I think are probably the only things I haven't played. Uh, I just wasn't playing games a whole ton when Sun and Moon came out. And then Mystery Dungeon just didn't really appeal to me in the sense of like, you were a Pokemon. It's like, I don't need to be a Pokemon. That doesn't, that's not what I want out of this. It's not my relationship with the franchise. So. Well, no, I was all over that shit. I mean, I like taking the little personality quiz at the beginning that determines what Pokemon you're going to be for the whole game. Again, this is furry stuff, but go on. I'm not a furry. Let the record show that I'm not a furry. I just like I'm Pokemon. an Ampharos. Okay, listen, listen. You're not going to like this game that I planned for you later. Anyway, the, the Mystery Dungeon games appeal to me on this big level. There's stuff about Pokemon that has always made me emotional, like, you know, the end of the Pokemon, the first movie, um, Mewtwo Strikes Back. But... In terms of the actual video games, I think the Mystery Dungeon game storylines are the only one that have gotten me to that emotional level of watching that movie as a kid. So I just appreciate those games on that level. But you said you're more into the Pokemon Ranger games, right? I loved that game. Yeah, I just I, I just I like the idea of like, hey, these incredibly powerful things are just out and about. And sometimes they they, you know, they freak out and you got to go out and settle their nerves and spin your DS stylus around them so quick that they fall over or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I got a lot out of that. Yeah. The Pokemon Rangers, uh, I mean, every Pokemon spinoff has typically different gameplay than the standard games that I just described. Pokemon Rangers specifically, you temporarily use a Pokemon's ability to help you out as a Ranger. You don't keep the Pokemon. They don't believe in owning Pokemon. They believe in living harmoniously with them. So I do enjoy that aspect of the gameplay. You're a toy person. I haven't really seen good Pokemon action figures. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, no, it's it's weird for like the most merchandised franchise basically ever, except for maybe Star Wars. I don't know. Like, no, it's the highest grossing media franchise of all time. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about like toys wise. Like, it's sure. you know, it's like it is interesting to me because I mean, we have I'm trying to think. We have Pokemon plushies in the house. Even we we both are big fans of the um, Mareep to you know Flaffy to Ampharos evolutionary line. So we have those stuffed animals and. A few other ones, um, but 
I'm trying to think as far as action figures goes, I, I think it'll happen eventually. It's just that no company's really committed to it because there's a lot of engineering that goes into it because you can't really get like once you do a Pokemon, you can't reuse that really unless you were to like repaint it for like a shiny thing. I'm not going to get into like the logistics of a toy line right now, but a big aspect for mass retail is can we reuse this, repackage this, recolor this some other way? You see that a lot with Transformers. You see the same body types used over multiple years for different characters for like the Marvel Legends line. Um, as far as like toys go, though, it's always been like at Toys R Us, they always had the, you know, the Pokeball that opened up and there was like the little statue of a Pokemon inside, but it didn't articulate in any way. It wasn't like an action figure. Um, Jazzwares, actually, they do. Uh, they did Fortnite for a while, and I think they still do Halo. So I think they might just have a focus on video game licensing. But they've recently been putting out like apparently decent figures through Target. I think there's a Greninja I think they did the Legendary Birds. Uh, They definitely did a Charizard. There's a handful of other ones, but even those, like, they're fine. And again, for me, like, scale is a big thing. And I think would be another huge issue is, like, if your Pikachu is big enough to be articulated and, like, have a movable, you know, tail or or whatnot, how big would that, you know, Whale Lord be? How big would that, how big would that, uh, uh, I mean, you know, like how big would Rayquaza be? How, how, you know, like, again, like our Dragon Ball figures are really impressive, but also like the great ape is not to scale. Like the great ape is, I think, 18 inches tall, whereas like a standard figure is like five to six inches tall. And it's like, realistically, that great ape would have to be like damn near like a meter and a half tall or something like that. So it's like, I think lo- lo- the logistics of doing a Pokemon line would be problematic that being said if a japanese company wants to go ahead and make like an import figure of the guy from coliseum with this cool shadow arm mech thing I, i'd buy the hell out of that pokemon or not you want a wes action figure is his name west his name's west yeah of his name is west he's wearing a duster <laughs> his name is west anyway that shit goes hard coliseum rules but uh yeah no i i think it's i think it's logistical i think it'll happen eventually it's just uh the the humanoid ones like give me a good like the the toys that we have like the figure arts and stuff give me a good blaziken i'd buy the shit out of that you know what i mean so i don't know it's funny because digimon actually has really good toys there's a lot of really great japanese imports uh of that and maybe it's just because the design sensibility lends itself better to like an action figure but uh like angelmon oh my god get out of here those things are killer this damn inflation is keeping me from getting good pokemon action figures is what you're saying i kind of but i mean i i think we're i think we're just I don't know. Like the other thing is like, it's like what company is like, Hey, there's like 800 of these fucking things. And we're going to try to make even a hundred of them as a daunting task. I, I don't know. I, I think that's the other thing. It's like, do you do like a transformers generations type deal where we take a little bit from each generation, like sprinkle in some Kanto, some Johto, some Helen, or do you have a company go, Hey, we're going to start with the original 151 and go from there. I just, I don't know. Like I said, it's a logistical nightmare trying to like make proper action figures of these things. Sure. I hear you. Going back to video games a little bit, it is obviously an ongoing franchise that has damn near annual releases to the point that there are two major Pokemon video games coming out this year. The first one had already come out, Pokemon Legends Arceus, and the upcoming Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which is supposed to usher in the new generation of Pokemon. What did you think of playing Legends Arceus early this year? So, I mean, I logged 85 hours into it in two weeks, if that answers your question. And like, not to say it like this, but like, you know, this isn't your, this isn't your daddy's Pokemon. Like this is the next step. This is, you know, taking that kind of breath of the wildy sort of approach to it. It's almost like gorilla 
in the way that you hunt these Pokemon and, you know, like sneak around in tall grass and use smoke bombs. And I really, I, I'm a, I'm a huge slut for stealth mechanics and games. Again, I love the Batman Arkham games and stuff. And so like to use smoke and, and, you know, different tactics to like sneak around and distract and whatnot. It, it was kind of like the, the natural conclusion of the safari zone. You know what I mean? And I, I love that. The crafting was a really interesting aspect. Obviously, that's a big thing in the Zelda games. And so they probably took a lot of inspiration from that. I, I don't know. I still haven't played Breath of the Wild, even though I bought it at the beginning of the pandemic with my Switch Lite. I just haven't cracked it open because I can't bring myself to dump two weeks into it. Crafting isn't really a thing in the Zelda games. It is a cooking thing, mostly, where you're combining ingredients for health items. But they were trying to incorporate crafting and they didn't really follow through with it to the extent that they wanted to. Isn't I like I thought like the whole thing with the new one is that like your your weapons have they take damage and you can't like yeah but you don't craft weapons you sort of find them in the overworld that sounds maddening but okay all right no you're gonna love that shit and you're gonna accept it that's fine like I said I just I can't bring myself to start a game that I know for a fact is gonna eat up so much of my time like when I started Arceus 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 however you say it I uh, I knew like you know it's Pokemon I'm I'm gonna have a good time but I didn't realize it was gonna just suck me in the way it did like I would. I would play basically from like 6 p.m. to like 2 a.m. every night for like two weeks. It was disgusting. No, it's a definitely a um, consuming game. I bought Elden Ring at the exact same time that I bought Pokemon Legends Arceus, and I knew I cannot play both of these games at the same time. So I'm going to play Arceus first, and then I'll get into the big thing. And thank God I did, because number one, I could appreciate Arceus a lot more as it was. And two, goddamn, Elden Ring is a massive game. I had to find a way to mention Elden Ring in every episode, guys. You know I have to do this. But... My thing with Pokemon, and this is probably a controversial opinion, or it isn't, I don't know. I prefer it as a handheld experience. I do not think the transition into 3D has been the best for it. And I'm not even saying strictly as a console because the Switch is also a handheld. When it moved away from the pixelated art style into the 3D overworld style in Pokemon X and Y, I didn't really enjoy it the same way. I kind of liked how primitive it looked. Because I like the idea of like these massive but also small worlds that those early generations had. I'm not a Gen 1-er. I do still love Pokemon and I still get a lot of enjoyment out of the games and the designs. But I do think that something is lost by turning everything 3D and I just love the sprite work of those older games. But Arceus has had me reckon with that a little bit. Number one, because the gameplay shift feels a lot more conducive to these bigger worlds. But also because this is feel like the first big evolution of the franchise in God knows however long. With Mario 64, you know, like the, the, the jump to 3D, like that game justifies the transition, like immediately, like out of the gate, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, there's a, there's more than two axes. Like it, it's nuts. I'm trying to think, when did Pokemon start going 3D? Was it Gen 5? Gen, Gen 6 was X and Y. Yeah. And it's like, it's like it didn't add anything is my thing. Like, I guess it adds a little bit to the Pokemon battles and like sword and shield, like the big, like dome filling giant forms and whatnot. But it's like, it just, it, it never felt purposeful. Whereas Arceus is like, no, it's like, this is a big world. It feels like a big world and you want to explore it. Cause again, it's like that breath of the wildy sort of approach. It's, it's the first time that Pokemon in 3d made sense to me. Right. Specifically gen three, which is my favorite generation the way that it blend all those colors while still having that small scale, that cartoonish style still gave me a lot of room to visually imagine how big this stuff actually is. The 3D problem is now that everything actually is in 3D, there's less imagination that I can put into these worlds. 
maybe it's a childhood loss thing. Maybe my imagination has just gone to shit, but I just, I just prefer that smaller style. And again, I think the sprites are just a better suit for these things. That brings me to my next question. Are you looking forward to Pokemon Scarlet and Violet? I am, you know, I, when I was like really, really into Pokemon, I would say, and we'll get into that a little bit um, in, in a second, but there was a point where I was like obsessive with like leaks and, you know, keeping up with new info and, oh my God, they showed off the, you know, the final forms of the new starters and this and that. Um, but with Scarlet and Violet, it's, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm realizing I'm kind of at the same point with like, uh, like the MCU. I enjoy Marvel movies fine. I I agree with a lot of the sentiments as far as like the, the pushback they've been getting. But I, at the end of the day, like my middle name is Robin. I was always going to like superheroes. I, I love superheroes. But I'm, I'm at a point now with like these things that I enjoy where I just kind of let it wash over me. So like Scarlet and it's like I'm excited. I haven't done a ton of research. I haven't watched all the trailers and stuff. It's like I, I know they're going to be fun. I know I'm going to buy that thing. Uh, so I, I'm still going to keep drinking that shit. So like I don't really know. I'm excited for it, but I do think that what excitement is has changed as we've gotten older because we're busier now. When you're a kid, you are going on a Pokemon.com. Speak get- for yourself. I'm unemployed, but okay, go on. When, you go, when you're a kid, <laughs> you go, you have time to come home from school and go on Pokemon.com and see if there's just any new information about fucking anything. Or you go on Cerebi or Bulbapedia and just try and get fucking anything. I was a big Cerebi kid for sure. Yeah. Bulbapedia can eat shit. Cerebi all the way. And this is probably also having to do with the way that the homogenization of the internet has sort of made everything a one-stop shop with Twitter. Uh, inshallah, it's, <laughs> it doesn't destroy itself in all one day. But at the same time, maybe we should return to forums and just try and scrap information uh, together as best we can. I do that with toys. That's the thing is I, I do that with toys. And like, I'm at a point now where it's like, I follow leaks for toys. I, I, you know, I obsess over that a little bit, but I don't have time to do that for every little thing, I guess. Like you said, we're busy. And so it's like, I have like, you know, my, my, my main thing, bread and butter, my main squeeze, but Pokemon, it's like, I don't play a lot of video games. I'm not dedicating a whole ton of my time to this. And so I just, it'll come as it comes. Yeah. Less free time in general, information reveal for everything feels less significant. And just seeing it on Twitter, it has a very, the Renaissance men are coming to town feel to it. It's just, it's just news washing over you. And then you scroll and then there's more news and then more news. And there's no, there, there's no pizzazz to anything anymore. It's that's, just I, it, like, that's the other like conundrum with this stuff is like, it's all content. And I hate to say that word. I hate that word, but like, there's too much, there's too much. And so it's like with the Pokemon stuff, it's like, I would, I, I feel like I would be eating my des- dessert before the appetizer by like, you know, mulling over every scrap of information. It's like, what is there to, again, I want it to wash over me in some way. It's, um, you know, there was a point in time when I was a lot younger where like I sought out leaks and spoilers and stuff like that for movies. And I cannot imagine doing that now. It's like, I want to go in as like fresh as possible. Um, you know, I'm not like, religious about it I'm, I, but it, it is like just as as little prior knowledge so that i can have as like pure of an experience with it as, as possible again it's like it'd be one thing if i was like on the fence about buying the new pokemon game but i know i'm gonna buy that shit so like why would i bother obsessing over every little detail prior to the game coming out right like i don't think we even settled which game we're gonna get because we both have switches so we're like one of us is gonna get scarlet one of us is gonna get violet but i think it's a toss-up as to who gets what I'm just so overwhelmed by everything. I don't know. I don't I don't know yet. We'll figure it out when it comes out. I'm excited to play it. I genuinely am. Uh, but it does have a very it does feel like 
it's another thing that I have to take care of. God, we turned a question of, are you excited for a Pokemon into everything is too much. I, that's I'm the sad. thing. It's like, are you excited for Pokemon? I mean, like, yeah, but I'm tired is the answer. That's the short of it. I mean, and there is a part of me that is almost annoyed that it's coming out so soon after Legends Arceus. But again, I guess it's this was the appetizer. This is what we're trying to do. Uh, check this shit out. You know, I, I, I'm i conflicted about it. Pokemon is this massive franchise. There is so much to it alone. 1,200 anime episodes, countless animated movies, live action film, trading card game, countless spinoffs in addition to multiple, multiple mainline video games. You settled on one, and we are going to spend the rest of the episode talking about it. It's Pokemon Emerald on the Game Boy Advance. Pokemon Emerald was developed by Game Freak and published by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company. The game was directed by Shigeki Morimoto and features four credited composers, including Junichi Masuda, frequent director and composer for the franchise, as well as Morikazu Aoki, Go Ichinose, and Hitomi Sato. The art for the game was done by Ken Sugimori, the primary art director of the Pokemon franchise. This was the final mainline release of the third generation of Pokemon games that started with Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, and continued with Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green, which were enhanced remakes of the franchise's original games, Pokemon Red, Blue, and Green. Pokemon Emerald was an improved third version of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, with additional features and mechanics, areas, plot sequences, and of course, Pokemon that were not featured in the original game. Pokemon Emerald was released in 2005 on the Game Boy Advance. Other games released in 2005 include The Legend of Zelda, Minish Cap, Shadow of the Colossus, Mario Kart DS, Guitar Hero, and a game we recently covered on the show, Resident Evil 4. And Avery, I curated the rest of this list with your taste in mind. Other games released in 2005, Psychonauts, Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi, X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse, Ultimate Spider-Man, Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars Republic Commando, Lego Star Wars, Star Wars Battlefront 2, and Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness. Yeah, holy shit. I have a thing with this, but go on, go on, okay. No, 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 I want, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about these games no, right here. No, no, I, okay, so it, it goes into the, the next question that you, you had for me, right? Which is, why did I pick this game? Like, what made me settle on Emerald? And it's, it's interesting because this isn't the first Pokemon game that I played, and it wasn't the last, obviously. I've played a lot since. And I don't even know that Emerald is my favorite per se, but it's where this peaked for me in a way. Uh, this game came out right after. So my, my birthday, I'm like, I'm one of those kids that's birthday is like right before school starts. It's August 26th. So this game came out uh, September 14th of 2004. In Japan, and it came out in early 2005 because okay, I, got, early I, got it, I got it for my ninth birthday. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, that, that makes more sense because it was that would have been spring of third grade. Right. That would have been us going into fourth grade. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah, exactly. So in third grade, I played it every day. Uh, my best friends in elementary school were Jake and Josh. And we would all bring our Game Boys and DSs and whatnot to school. And we would play them under the desk. 
uh, I didn't learn shit in third, fourth, or fifth grade. I stopped <laughs> doing homework, and honestly, in a way, I think that this game and a combination of those other games you just listed probably derailed my life for the worse because my work ethic and my time management and everything went to shit in third grade. Between Revenge of the Sith and Pokemon Emerald, my life was ruined that year. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my parents and any sort of trauma there. It's just that I started playing video games way too much and I, I got my priorities shifted in a, in a shit fuck way way too early. So George Lucas ruined my life. George Lucas did kind of ruin my life. Yeah, I mean... Mewtwo strikes back. It's all connected, you know? So, like, I, I don't know. Like, like you reading off that list, it's like, I could picture in my head, it's like, man, I played those games a lot. What the fuck did I learn in those those years of school? I don't remember. I remember one time, this is a sidebar, but it's kind of related. I remember one time we had a book report on Because of Winn-Dixie. And instead of uh, presenting my work in our, like, little group that we had in class... I just went to the bathroom and pretended to throw up so I could go home. And you know what I did when I went home? I played more Pokemon. Pokemon ruined my life, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this list now, and I played most of these games as they were coming out. X-Men Legends 2? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I could play as Nightcrawler. He's my favorite. That's my boy. Like <laughs> My brothers or myself, these games were all in the house. Uh, I think all of them were. One that sticks out to me is Star Wars Battlefront 2. I played hundreds of hours of that with my brothers, and... I remember in fourth grade, tying into what you were saying here, this was very much a, I did not realize I had ADHD as a kid, but it completely makes sense now. We had weekly reports that we had to take home with us that our parents had to sign. Yep. That was like, your kid got an S in this, an S in good behavior, S in turning in their work on time. I had this several week cycle where I was doing everything fine as a student, but I was not getting those reports signed because I don't know how to explain the way that ADHD works in your brain, but it just makes you avoidant. And I would keep perpetuating not getting them signed because it was kind of like a metric that you got that thing signed and returned in this weird, fucked up, perpetual way of this report is not getting signed. So I would be afraid to show it to my mom and I would just keep hiding it because I didn't want to get in trouble for not getting this report signed for six weeks at a time because if I was grounded, I couldn't play Star Wars Battlefront 2. Yeah, I exactly. And I, again, I just, I just, I, I stopped doing homework in third grade and I know that's not good. I, I, I shouldn't be bragging about that. I'm not bragging about it, but I did. I stopped doing homework in third grade. I didn't do another drop of homework all the way through the rest of public school. Like I, I graduated with honors. Like I, it wasn't like I was the worst student in the world. I was one of those kids that never studied and did fun on the test. But yeah, I stopped doing homework and it's because why the, you don't pay me. Like when I go home, you, <laughs> you're not paying me to do this work. Absolutely not. All I got to do, I like I was raised by my grandparents and they weren't the most attentive. Like they were sweet and, and whatnot. Again, my, my dad wasn't around all the time. When he was around, I would just hide those reports and I wouldn't get them signed. And when he wasn't around, it's like, oh, they don't care. I would just come home and I'd start playing Battlefront 2. I'd start playing Pokemon. I mean, basically what would happen is I'd play Battlefront 2. Or if we left the house to like go do a grocery run, guess I got to bring my Game Boy with me. I mean, I was playing I was playing video games like nonstop for a good while, which is really weird to think about because I also read all the time. I don't know where I found it in the attention span because like nowadays I it's it's shot to shit. I blame the phones. The phones are a thing, but I think there's a thing that we learn very young where it's like avoidant productivity. As long as we're not doing homework, everything just feels fun and exciting. Yeah, so reading sure. a book is great and playing a video game is just as fun to you because you're just not doing homework. Again, like I wasn't a dumb kid. I mean, I I'm, I might be a dumb adult, but I'm, I wasn't a dumb kid. And all the time, like I literally, I lost count of the amount of times that it's like I was doing something in class other than the assignment. I would be reading 
you know, some crazy big book or something like that. My teacher's like, Hey, that's great that you're reading, but like, that's not what we're teaching. And I'm like, yeah, I, again, you're not paying me. I don't give a shit. Like, what are you going to do? No, there were so many times when, uh, in fifth grade where I had a book under my desk when we were supposed to be learning and my teacher would call me out for it. And it was a problem for sure. As much as she called me on it, like I, I still got my work done. There was a, there was a semester that you were, I was the only kid in the class that got all A's and that's not me trying to brag about shit. No, but it's like old, but. public school is bad. Teachers are underpaid. They don't get paid enough to classes are too big and the pay is too small to be getting onto a kid for playing Pokemon Emeralds under his desk. But there uh, must be some sort of problem because public school and jobs have the same problem where the problem is you're not looking busy and it's not about actually retaining information or doing things right. And come for the Pokemon conversation, stay for the bleak existence of our lives and how everybody's underpaid and nobody, everybody's overworked and yet nothing feels like it's getting better. Uh, we're talking about Pokemon, I think, right? That was, that's what we're talking about. Oh yeah. Uh, Pokemon, right? Uh, God. Also, I love Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. I love yeah, that game rules. too. Yeah. I, the kid had red hair, so I was pretty stoked. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I played more. I never actually got to play Coliseum that much. Oh my good. Are you uh, kidding me? My other friends had that game, but I got to get Pokemon. I saw a fan cam of West the other day set to a night call by Kavinsky from drive. And I was like, that goes hard. That goes extremely hard. And I would play the shit out of that game right now. If I could, (laughs) I did have a bit of sour grapes with that game because in Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, uh, the kid is just not as cool looking as Wes, who has a motorcycle and you're just going around driving your silly little moped. You've got your like steampunk motorcycle and your like mech arm and shit. And, and then in Gale of Darkness, it's just like, I'm a little kid. I'm going on an adventure. And it's like, man, West fucked is the point. <laughs> that's yeah, those games were cool because they put the Final Fantasy type graphics over a Pokemon game, and that's what a 3D Pokemon game should have been. I like X and Y and Fine. I never played Sun and Moon either. God, those those games felt. You didn't play Sun and Moon either. I have them. I got through half of them, but they were too story heavy for me to really get into. Really? No, thought, I'm yeah. curious now. Yeah, I I have it. I own it, but I just never finished it. Yeah, interesting. Sword and Shield really got me back into the no, I, series. Yeah. And, I, yeah. For sure. Those definitely got two shit on at the time, but uh, it was Arceus. the British is what it is. I mean, yeah, fuck the British, honestly. I think a lot about how the champion in those games is like wearing like a like a football outfit with like a big like, you know, royal crown and cape and whatnot. What a jackass. But (laughs) (laughs) you see that Ash beat him and he became the uh, Pokemon champion the other day. Yeah, I I saw something about how Ash is like the ideal employee now because he's got 25 years of experience (laughs) (laughs) before getting a promotion but yeah uh all right let's let's stop talking about pokemon and talk about pokemon one last thing do you know what real world city the ori region of pokemon coliseum and gale of darkness are based off of uh i don't know it's like this brutalist kind of thing i don't know like what is it supposed to be so there's a lot of deserts a lot of oases oases a lot of just shanty looking towns in certain areas they base it off of Phoenix, Arizona. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. Which brings me to this topic. Each mainline Pokemon's game's regions are based off of real-world geographical locations. The Kanto region in Pokemon is based on the real-life Kanto region in Japan. This is where Tokyo is located and is the economic center of Japan. Johto uses the Kansai and Shikoku regions for inspiration, which draws aesthetic influence from the more natural and spiritual areas of Japan. So the Kansai region is where Kyoto is located. Hoenn, uh, where Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald take place, they use the, the Kyushu region of Japan as inspiration. Nagasaki and Okinawa Prefecture are within this region for reference. 
This is the southernmost region of Japan, which is what lends to the subtropical aesthetics of the Hoenn region. So it's a mountainous region. Uh, the most active volcano in Japan is located here. Uh, so Mount Chimney in Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald is uh, a parallel to Mount Aso. The hot springs of Lava Ridge Town are there because there's an abundance of hot springs in the Kyushu region. And the presence of so many springs, mountains, and volcanoes is because of the high level of tectonic activity within the region. So it's no coincidence that Groudon is the legendary Pokemon with the power to create continental landmasses. So you've talked about this a little bit here. What made you ultimately settle on this game? Yeah, I just, I, again, it's like I, I, I was never more into this stuff than with Emerald. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I played Ruby and Sapphire. I had both of them. Um, and I, I got Emerald and it just, it just felt like a culmination in a lot of ways. It was everyone at school had Emerald when I was in third grade or whatever it was. You know, like everyone had that game all the way through. When did, when did Diamond and Pearl come out? It was 2007 in America. Fifth grade? Uh, yeah, so fifth grade going into sixth. I remember playing Emerald like in class in the lead up to Diamond and Pearl coming out. You know what I mean? Like like everyone was like still on the train. Like I was talking about Star Wars recently with someone and how after Revenge of the Sith, a lot of kids uh, like that, you know, my, my peers like kind of dropped off it because it was like unless you were down with the Clone Wars cartoon, which I was, there wasn't, you know, uh, again, I hate the word, but like content for like to keep kids interested like that. Uh, as far as the movies go, Pokemon, though, like Pokemon never went away. Pokemon was always around and Emerald was the peak of it. It felt like like we we got Diamond and Pearl. We played Diamond and Pearl. I remember going back and playing Emerald, like even though we had this new exciting thing, like the, the class was kind of like, all right, well, like again, like me and my friends, Jake and Josh, we, we would just play Emerald all the time. We would do like that glitch in Battle Frontier where you could like clone Pokemon and we would trade them back and forth and all kinds of stuff like that. So. I just, uh, I also, I remember I wasn't crazy about the post game in Diamond and Pearl, um, as far as like the, what is the island called in that one? You didn't tell me though. Yeah, I know what you're talking and about. Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't as like interested in that. And so I would go back and I'd play the post game of Emerald more, even though, and we'll talk about it. Oh, that wasn't my like most favorite thing in the world. Um, it just felt like it had more replayability to me than Diamond and Pearl. No, I, I completely understand that. It, like you said, it comes out at the right time. And the same thing with the, the, the Star Wars games. Those multiple Star Wars video games all came out at the same time because Revenge of the Sith was out. And, and again, that's the that. culmination of that. It's like, it's like, you know, say what you will about Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. But like 2005, man, that shit. I remember I had a, I had a Darth Vader Slurpee at one point. Like, you know, you just it, does, it doesn't get bigger than that. Darth I think Vader about was it. finally here. That was the big deal. Yeah. It's, I, uh, who's your daddy? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I, like uh, there was a point in time where it was like I was breathing this stuff between between Pokemon and Star Wars like that owned my entire ass most of elementary school. So yeah, Emerald, like I said, it's it's not my favorite. And like we can talk about this more, but Johto is my favorite region. Johto is the most like spiritual. It's it's got like this um, like each generation has like its um, own aesthetics and, and and sensibilities and whatnot. And Hoenn's isn't my favorite, but it is undeniably just like extremely iconic. It's really cohesive basically across like the entire like thing. And I just, I don't know. I really, really love that game. Even if it's not my specific favorite Pokemon game. No, I get it. And generation three also just was the longest generation in terms of the time spent with it. The time between the first games coming out, uh, Pokemon Ruby Sapphire, uh, the time between that and Pokemon Pearl and Diamond, 
that was four years that in four years as a child feels like practically a decade in adult years. So I just feel like we spent more time with that and living in that space in that particular period of our time that makes us feel closer to those things. Also, I'm trying to think, when did Fire Red and Leaf Green come out? That was 2004 in America. Okay, so the year before Emerald. Yeah, it was 2003 and then 2004 and then 2005. Yeah, yeah. man, that's crazy. Oh, man, I, I remember, I, again, I don't know if this is like a like a regional thing or, or what, but we had this uh, pseudo blockbuster place called Hollywood Video that was up the street from my mom's house as a kid. And when I would go over there on the weekends, we would go to Hollywood Video and she'd let me rent something and you could rent video games, which was insane to me. Like, I can't tell you how many different kinds of like PlayStation 2 games I would just like, like Sly Cooper. That's how I found that, you know? Yeah. But when Fire Red and Leaf Green came out, I remember I had a, like a birthday card or something. And I, I went up there, I bought, I think I got, I think I got Leaf Green because everyone else was getting Fire Red. And I just remember like sitting in my bunk bed that night uh, at my mom's house and I, I played it until like three or four in the morning and we had we had some sort of family function the next morning and they're like man what is wrong with avery and i was like oh, i was up on i play bulk <laughs> like i just uh yeah i'm god like looking back on the amount of time that i spent with these games is is kind of disgusting in a way but i i don't know i love gen 3 i feel like fire red and leaf green is kind of lumped in there in a way because you could Oh, you could get Mewtwo finally. Is that what it was? So, I mean, the idea was that they had uh, uh, these side games come out so you could get Pokemon and trade them between the regions, right? So the idea being you have Pokemon Ruby Sapphire and then, ooh, now you have the, the Kanto Pokemon to play with and you can integrate that into your game. Or Emerald's out now. Why yeah. not put all your Pokemon into the newest version of the yeah. game and now you have the Kanto Pokemon in there? And if you complete the Pokedex in uh, Pokemon Emerald, you get to pick a Johto Pokemon. Don't yeah. you like the Johto Pokemon? I remember Ruby and Sapphire. I picked. I think I. I think I did the respective color for their starters in each. So I did Ruby. I picked Torchic. On Sapphire, I picked Mudkip. And then when I got Emerald, I picked Sceptile. And obviously, like Blaziken kicks the most ass. Yeah. And yeah, and there's not a ton of great fire types in that generation to pick from. There's a plethora of grass types. But what I ended up doing was I was like, oh, well, I just got my, I think I just got a Charizard in my Emerald game. And it's like, well, I don't need to worry about it now. I can stomach having a, the grass murder because I have, you know, this baller ass fire type. Yeah. Now these games, by the way, were huge. If you look at the top three best-selling Game Boy Advance games, number one is Pokemon Ruby Sapphire. Number two, Pokemon Fire Red Leaf Green. Number three, Pokemon Emerald. Yeah. So these things dominated the consoles that they were released on. People were playing these games. Everybody had them. Which is really insane to think about in terms of the aftermarket, because yeah. like there's a kajillion of them out there, and even still that game is like 40, 50 bucks. It's nuts. Which will bring me on to this segment that we do on the show, No Country for Old Games. So this is the part of the show where we talk about video game preservation and rate today's game on a scale of A to ARG. ARG obviously being my expression of frustration and is in no way a suggestion for my listeners to pirate video games. That's illegal. Pokemon Emerald was released exclusively for the Game Boy Advance in 2005. This was towards the end of the handheld's life as Nintendo DS was already out for six months by this point. 
the original DS as well as the Nintendo DS Lite were backwards compatible with Game Boy Advance games though. The DSi and 3DS, the subsequent iterations of the DS were not. As of this writing, there is no legal way to play these Game Boy Advance games on the Switch. So I have to ask you, Avery, when the temptation arises to revisit this game, how do you replay it? Uh, so, I mean, for the longest time, I had a old uh, Game Boy SP with Emerald, just like, a, I, it, if you told me it was super glued into that thing, I'd believe you because I just never took it out. It was a, it was a red SP with a green cartridge in it. I just, I, like, that visual is like permanently etched into my brain. But I think when I moved around like ninth or 10th grade, I think it finally got lost. And so I had not played Emerald until I went to go replay it for this show. And I wasn't going to spend a 40, 50 bucks on an old copy and then also track down like a, you know, a Game Boy or a DS or, or whatever. Um, I think I actually do have a Nintendo 2DS I could have played it on. No, because they, they're not backwards compatible. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Which one had the cartridge? It was uh, the, the DS, DS and the DS Lite did. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I what I ended up doing was I just... Uh, downloaded an emulator and parody non-actionable yeah and uh yeah i've been playing it on my ipad for the past uh, week and a half or so which is a weird experience because i was like you know i'm, I'm like kind of speed running it for the sake of like just getting the experience and a fresh set of eyes on it uh for the podcast and i played it at two times speed on like fast forward <laughs> mode and the music was also sped up which was like cute in some places like where it's when the music is like slow it sounds cute sped up but when it's like the intense battle music and shit, I was like, I have to turn this off because I feel like I'm I feel like I'm listening to 100 Gex right now. I can't do this. I so like the fast trumpet sounds just like. Yeah. And so I would I would turn that off and I would just like listen to like Christmas music or something to like level myself out. But yeah, so I mean, I've been playing it that way and I literally, literally beat it last night uh, going into this. So, I'm yeah, I again parody non actionable. I, I didn't actually whatever, but yeah, I just downloaded it from my iPad and which is surprisingly easy. Like I'm not the most tech savvy guy. You can ask Kiefer. I have to ask him for help with that kind of stuff like all the time. Like a few weeks ago, I went to go play Miles Morales on his PS5 and I was like, I can't find my save file. He's like, listen, Grandpa, <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, no, downloading the emulator and whatnot for uh, Emerald parody non actual was uh, pretty easy. So, right. Uh, emulating games is technically against the law, so I'll not tell you how to do it on this show. However, there's nothing illegal about the following statements. Emulating Game Boy Advance games is surprisingly easy. Guides to emulate Game Boy Advance games are readily available online. That's all I'll say about that. But yeah, this is the first uh, game that I can definitively call an ARG since the first episode I did with Manu when we talked about Metal Gear Solid 3. That was the other ARG that we've had on this show. It is extremely difficult to get a physical copy of Pokemon Emerald anywhere. Obviously, you cannot get a copy directly from the publisher, and any copy you'd acquire is almost definitely secondhand. So even if you do acquire one, quote-unquote, legally, it's not as if your dollars are supporting the company that developed the game in the first place, as if Game Freak or Nintendo are struggling financially. If you're listening to the show and my ideology on certain things isn't clear, let me make one of my beliefs crystal right now. I do not believe that there is anything ethically wrong with playing ROMs of games that are no longer supported by the publisher. If you do think it is ethically wrong, consider this. Is it ethically wrong to let your friend play a game you have but they didn't pay for? How is that different? Follow-up question. Is selling a used game unethical to you? What makes the secondhand market more ethical than acquiring a game for free when the publisher makes the same amount of money either way? 
Is it simply the existence of the exchange of capital? If so, are all legal transactions ethical to you? Point is, it is extremely difficult to acquire this game. It's already becoming extremely difficult to acquire the remakes of these games uh, released in 2014, Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, because the 3DS is being phased out and the Nintendo eShop will be closing for the Nintendo 3DS this coming March. So soon, you won't even be able to easily legally acquire the remakes of the game that came out eight years ago, much less the game that was released 17 years ago or Pokemon Ruby Sapphire, which was released, uh, what, 20 years ago. This, this is this is unacceptable. We just talked about how these games were massive, multiple million unit sellers. They were the three best selling games on the Game Boy Advance, and there's no legal way of playing them. How is that OK? What are we supposed to do if we want to play these games? I don't know. I, I hate this. I hate that I have to ask this question so much. But let's not be so bleak about it and just talk about good things about Pokemon Emerald now. Going back to Pokemon Emerald as a game, the plot of most Pokemon games are relatively straightforward, though this one certainly does more than previous entries in terms of plot. You start as either Brendan or May, a child moving to the Hoenn region from Johto after your father Norman takes on the role of gym leader in Petalburg City. During move-in, your mother suggests you meet your next door neighbor, Professor Birch, and instead meet their child, who is the opposite character from the one you picked between Brendan or May. There's a word for that, Brendan. What? I don't know. There's definitely a word for that. Right, right. I think you better leave, Brendan. After introducing yourself, you go to a small field where you hear a cry for help. You see Professor Birch being attacked by a pack of wild Puccina. He asks you to pick a Pokemon to help you fight them off. Who do you pick? So again, I, I, have, I have, in my time, in my 26 years on this planet, I have played through these games with each of the individual starters. I think my favorite in terms of like just overall design and, and everything is Mudkip. However... None of them are bad. I, I stand by the first three generations. Like, there's not a bad starter in those bunches. I You could make an argument that, like, some are weaker than others, but I don't think there's a bad choice. Because I was speed running the game for the show, I picked Torchic. Because, again, there's a lack of fire types. And, like, I like Torkoal. I don't love them. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah, Torchic is, is what I went with. But, again, I, I genuinely do not believe there's a bad answer. I was always a Blaziken kid through and through. My strategy for the first few gyms was I'm going to train this up to a Combuskin. I'm going to double kick the shit out of those rocks. Then I'm going to go to Doofer Gym and I'm going to peck the shit out of his fighting type exactly. Pokemon. And then the Mauville City Gym, electric types are also steel types if you're fighting Magne Magneton or Magnemite or whatever. So I'm just double kicking the shit out of those Pokemon next. Yeah. And like, so again, like I played, I played Ruby, I played Sapphire. I think I like, I think I bought Ruby and then I like traded a kid, something like, completely like not worth it for his copy of Sapphire. I don't remember what happened exactly, but um, I remember playing Ruby and I picked Torchic and then I picked Sapphire and I played Mudkip. And like, not that the Mudkip run was hard, but good God is Combusking with Double Kick OP. Like it's ridiculous. And I even did it on this playthrough for the show. Like I, the, the Double Kick, I, I still have it on my Blaziken. Like I, it's it's ridiculously overpowered. It's It's nuts. Fight! 
I love Blaziken. Blaziken's one of my favorite Pokemon ever. Going forward in the plot a little bit, after saving Professor Birch's life, your journey to becoming a Pokemon trainer begins, where you eventually take on the eight gym leaders of the Hoenn region, including your dad. You get to beat up your dad in this game. And eventually, the Elite Four and its champion. Along the way, you find yourself repeatedly stumbling into the heated gang war between Team Aqua and Team Magma, both of whose plans for the world are apocalyptic in nature. Team Aqua intends to flood the world by reviving the legendary water Pokemon Kyogre, and Team Magma intends to expand the continents with the legendary ground type Groudon. Along your journey, you capture Pokemon, level them up in battle, evolve them, and forge friendships with them along the way. Avery, what's your team configuration by the end of this game? Okay, so I beat... I beat Wallace the champion last night. Uh, my team was a Blaziken, because uh, again, like fire fighting, like super OP. Like I'll, I'll even get into the moveset real quick with you just to let you know like like my my mindset with this. So I had Blaziken with Blaze Kick, Sky Uppercut, Double Kick, and Overheat. Um, I rarely use overheat, but it's usually like a like a last ditch effort. Like if I if I just like um Sydney in the Elite Four has that cack turn at the end, and I would just he's the last Pokemon he would use, I would use overheat just to be over and done with it. It's like I don't want to mess with this anymore. I had Sableye, which I just love his design. He's just a little guy, you know? He's just yeah. a yeah. I named him Gollum just because I like the idea that he's like a little dude with, you know, gems and whatnot. He lives in the cave. Exactly. Uh so my 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 Blazingkin's name was <laughs> My Blaziken's name is Raisin Canes, uh, which I had to like truncate to fit into it. So it's just Raise in Canes. Yeah, so I've got Raisin Canes. I've got Sableye, which is Gollum, with, which had a Nightshade, Shadow Ball. Ooh, what is, oh, Faint Attack for my Dark type move. And then Shockwave as like a, like a Dark Horse for that. Uh, I have Agron. His name is Tuggernuts. That's a Tropic Thunder reference. Um, he had Rock Tomb, Thunder, Iron Tail, and Earthquake. I had a Gyarados named Trotty Mouth, which is a Glee reference, <laughs> uh, which had Surf, Hydro Pump, Blizzard, and Thunder. And then I had a Gardevoir, which had Psychic and Confusion, and I'll, I'll, a Thunderbolt, and I don't even remember what the fourth move was. I never used it. Like, double Team, maybe? I can't remember. And uh, an Altaria. Altaria, what did I... Oh, I named that Jean Jacket, which if you get that, you get that. If not, I'm not getting into it. I don't want to spoil that movie. They had Dragon Breath, Dragon Claw, Fly, and Aerial Ace. So, I, yeah, good team. Blaziken, Sableye, Agron, Gyarados, Gardevoir, and Altaria. No, solid team. And, I mean, that's the thing. I love Gen 3's design so much, and there's just so much to choose from in that game. And I said this in a previous episode, but I still remember what my final team mostly was. Uh, Blaziken, Manectric, Absol, Flygon, Crawdont, and Agron. You get most things represented there. Absol. Crawdont rules. Flygon, fantastic. I just didn't have room for him on my team. And I'd never actually used an Altaria before, so I wanted to like commit to that one. No, I mean, it's it's great. It's a very strange dragon type, but I love the way that it looks. There's nothing else quite like it. I love Flygon because it's a dragon type that's also a ground type. I just love the weird creativity that went into this game. Some more background information about this game before we get too far in. Generation 3 was also known as the Advanced Generation because A, its presence in the Game Boy Advance, and B, introducing a variety of mechanics that pushed the series into newer, more complex directions. Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald represents a shift in Ken Sugimori's art style for the series. This would become the more familiar art style for the games moving forward with more colorful, rounder, less angular designs. Uh, this is more than likely a result of the Game Boy Advance being more graphically capable than the Game Boy that hosted the first two generations. 
uh, the Gen 3 games run at 60 frames per second, which resulted in smoother animation. Uh, I don't know if you remember the art style for that first two generations of games. I find it very nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, I love Gen 3 to bits and its art style, but I do kind of miss those, like, everything looking boxier and uh, more 90s anime. Uh, abilities and natures are introduced, which impact how Pokemon can damage or influence each other's stats outside of a standard turn. Double battles, where Pokemon engage in two-on-two -two fights, are introduced and take on further significance in Emerald. Pokemon contests are introduced and are non-combat competitions your Pokemon can enter. EVs, or effort values, are introduced, which contributes to the stat building of your Pokemon. I'm not going to explain it all, but the gist of it is it helped make training more complex and it made the games more competitive in player versus player matches. Perfecting EVs and understanding the relationship between abilities and natures became significant in having a deeper understanding of the game's simplistic on its surface turn-based combat. Emerald specifically also introduces the Battle Frontier, which has several facilities that test the mastery of the player and its Pokemon after becoming the Pokemon champion. So this is where the invisible things like EVs start coming into play in terms of building Pokemon because those become significant if you're going to take on the uh, the factory brains, as they're called. Avery, what are your thoughts on the Battle Frontier? I don't really care for it. I I, I was we talked a little bit about this while I was playing through the game because I, I again like you know we live together so I'm like I'm like sitting in the living room like cussing and screaming at my iPad a little bit because I'm getting my ass kicked by Wallace. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not mad. It's fine. Uh, the the Battle Frontier and the Battle Tent and stuff. I I still like I didn't think this as a kid, and I still don't think this now. Like I just I. They don't do a great job setting that stuff up. I understand that Scott is there. He's a presence throughout the game to like try to draw you towards it and whatnot. But there's no incentive. Like 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 the narrative push is the Team Aqua Magma stuff. The narrative push is the Elite Four and the Champion. And so like the Battlefront here just always felt like an afterthought. Again, I I like it better than the Gen Four version of that. I I don't know. I just I never got super duper invested in it. I think the the only thing that Gen Four really drew me in with was that it was your rival's dad. Right. Remember that with the blonde kid? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I, I appreciated that aspect because, again, it's like just something to like push you towards it. But I never like like I was I was more into it for the, you know, catching the Pokemon and raising the Pokemon and whatnot. And so it's like you're not getting experience. You're not getting you're like there's there's little incentive to me like the art of the battle. Like I, that was never an aspect of these games that like I really, really got into. Like again, like Eevees, I didn't really ever pay much attention to. Um, I don't know. I was like, that wasn't really my thing. It was like just level grind enough to beat these people and move on to the next part and see all the things that they have to show me. Right. Yeah. I liked the battle frontier as a kid. I haven't revisited that aspect of the game in a long time to say if it was still something that compels me now, but at the time it was a tremendous post-game thing for me that justified me continuing to play the game. Another thing that Emerald has that no other game does is it is the first and only game in the main series where the player has a father. Sidebar, real quick, the, the stuff with Norman feels like such an afterthought. Like, he's the fifth gym leader? Like, I don't respect you. There's three gym leaders above you. What are you talking about? You're like, you're not even, I don't know, man. Like, like especially because like Juan feels like an afterthought in Emerald, especially it's like, why not make it norm? Why not? Like, I, you know, I don't know. It just feels so like deflated. It's just like, this should be my dad and I should be super invested in this situation. And instead it's like, all right, come on, man, get your, get your slack king out of here. I'm sick of your shit. So I don't know. I mean, I think I like that he is like the halfway point and I like the idea that your daddy ain't shit. 
really sure, in the yeah. grand scheme of things. So how I does that, how does that work by the way? Is it like is it like oh there's a job opening up for a normal type gym leader specifically? So it's like you know like Flannery's a fire type, so fire type gym leaders need not apply. Is that how that works in the Pokemon universe? Because like if you move there for the job of him taking over the gym, I'm 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 curious how that works. I feel like he got the shittiest version of a cool job. I think that there's like I think that Norman isn't shit in the grand scheme of things. Like a niche position open up in a field that he is fucking okay at and he had to uproot his entire family from one region to another to be the shittiest guy at the at, at a cool job that's my take on it again there's not enough to norman he seems like he is a genuinely supportive father god knows what that feels like but um, <laughs> but I, I mean like there's nothing really to it except the the anomaly that he is like the only dad who is around in pokemon sure yeah i yeah I, that's the thing is like i just it just doesn't feel like there's enough weight to it for me specifically. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, it sh- I feel like it should be a bigger deal or even have Norman show up with the team Aqua Magma thing. You're telling me that you're just like letting your kid fight like volcano goths and pirates out there and you're just not stepping in at any point. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, he just, he feels like a non-presence. Like Steven is my dad, if anything. Like no, I, His job is to sit around and let 10 year olds beat him up all day. Like yeah. I don't respect that man. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I guess that's the thing is Norman, Norman sucks is my point. I, I don't get much out of him. Fuck Norman. Yeah. Fuck Norman. Fuck Norman. Anyway, um, (laughs) besides the fact that your dad is around and fucking sucks, um, what does this game offer to you that other generations do not? Uh, So, like, not to be an old man, uh, but I do appreciate how straightforward this game is. Um, Again, like, the narrative pushes you gym to gym. The Team Aqua Magma stuff, like, it deviates from that, but never feels uh, superfluous. Like, it's part of it. It's ingrained in it, like... It's also interesting. I I think that's the other thing. And we've talked about this a little bit is the legendary stuff like after Gen 3 just doesn't hit the same. And I have been trying to figure out why, because I thought it was oversaturation with Gen 4, but we started listing off. There's a shit ton of legendaries in this game. It's just that this game is like, look, there's a there's a there's a main conflict with the, the teams and also Kyogre and Groudon's designs are fantastic. I just I don't know like it's it's it it feels tight like I I played this game and I I never felt like it was wasting my time at any point and that's an issue I have with a lot of games nowadays it's kind of like like I was playing Miles Morales the other day on the PlayStation 5 and it's a beautiful wonderfully made game but there's a lot of points when I'm playing that game where I'm just like come on man pick like move on with it I'm sick of this shit I guess and this this goes for this goes way beyond just video games this goes to like storytelling in general especially nowadays there can be too much of a good thing. You can you can overstay your welcome. And I appreciate Pokemon, especially Gens 1, 2, and 3, for just being like really tight little games that you can knock out in like a week. You know, no no muss, no fluff, all that, all that good stuff. So No, and I will say that this game has my favorite legendaries over any other generation. The, the central legendary Pokemon are Kyogre, Groudon, and Rayquaza. You think that's cooler than Lugia? I think in the terms of like, if you average out the legendary Pokemon in of the three generations. Pause the recording. I'm going to kick your ass. No, I don't. (laughs) 
I like Lugia. That's why I like Pokemon XD, is there's an evil Lugia. There is an evil Lugia. I love evil Lugia. <laughs> Majin Lugia. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. No, I like... I think this game has my favorite legendaries. And, I mean, again, that is informed. I mean, Deoxys is sexy. Yeah. Okay, you want to fuck Deoxys? Yeah, defend uh, mode specifically. Defend mode? Oh, you like a, you like a bulky man. Yeah, thick, All right. thick Deoxys. The daddy thicky. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I like the legendaries. Um... Like, I really like Kyogre and Groudon because they feel like this larger-than-life presence. Like, oh, like that looks like a walking volcano. That looks like the master of the seas. My issue with Rayquaza, Rayquaza, how do you, how do you say it? I say Rayquaza because I see an R-A-Y in there. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, like, Quags, not Quags, Ray, 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 I don't know. Ray K-47. Anyway, my point being is, like, He's supposed to be like, oh, he's the the balance between the the you know this and that, and it's like he's just a snake. Like I don't ever feel like there's a connection with him. He doesn't have as much personality, I guess, is the thing. Is like a Mewtwo or a Lugia or whatever. And yeah, I I just I don't connect with Rayquaza the same way. I think they help address that a bit in the remake where Rayquaza is like a more active participant in the plot, especially. It like shows up the, a few times, right? Yeah, you do the Delta episode because like the you have to fight Deoxys at, at the end of that. I, I love Rayquaza, and I think society and the court of public opinion falls in line with me because I saw that he is consistently ranked as uh, a favorite Pokemon in Generation 3 in general, uh, a favorite in legendary Pokemon polls. People fucking like this guy. So I think he might be the odd one out there. No, yeah, and, and that's totally fine. I, like, even, as a, even as a kid, it was just like, I've never been a big legendary kid past Gen 2. Like, I never... Put them on my team i always felt like it was cheating like i like it's arbitrary rules that i set for myself to make the game harder i guess but yeah like i would catch them and then it's like all right well like i'm, I'm glad i did it i'm glad i got it i guess but i just you know what honestly now that i think about it is i maybe the movies really influenced my relationship with these games because remember like Suicune basically is that how you pronounce it Suicune yeah. yeah remember Suicune basically just being like aslan from narnia in that one pokemon movie where they travel back in time it's like I never, there's not like a relationship with Rayquaza. And I just. Which one I, are you talking about? There's Entei in Pokemon 3. Yeah, I'm talking about the one where they travel back in time with uh, the Celebi movie. Oh, Pokemon Forever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like Suicune shows up and is like, you know, it's like, it's like this like mysterious like harbinger of whatever. And like, there's like, it just, it connects in a way that I don't feel like. Okay, because I was thinking, because like, there's an Aslan thing going on in Pokemon 3, the movie with Entei yes, too. Yes, you're right, because he, he talks in that one. I'm, I'm getting my wires crossed, but but it, uh, that goes more to my point. It's like, th that colored my perception of those Pokemon, and also, again, like, Big Flying Snake isn't as, like, warm or or whatever as the dogs, so sure. I just, I didn't connect with them the same way. But that's the reason I like it, because they're, these aren't, like, supposed to be awe-inspired they're not jesus figures in that kind of way they're legendary and like the these are the, the the forces of the planet in their most violent and also potentially creative ways kyogre and groudon see are, i was a big narnia kid so i think i was just more drawn to the dogs for that reason but go on maybe but kyogre and groudon are likely the pokemon version of leviathan and behemoth which are depictions of chaos beasts in the book of job in the tanakh right jewish apocrypha says that in the end times the two beasts will emerge to engage in battle, battling each other to a standstill where their creator, God, will slay them with a sword and make canopies out of the Leviathan skin while they feast on the meat of the behemoth, which I think is metal as fuck. And no, no, and, and like that goes hard. And again, like 
the the moment like i think i tweeted that the other day something about like the the conflict in Sutopolis is like you know it, it does feel grand it just that it's like it, it it feels like these things that are larger than life but again it's like i'm not connecting with them in a way like it's like it's like i i appreciate the spectacle of it and i i think again i think the designs are all solid it's just in terms of like a pokemon that you want to build a relationship with and like have on your team or or whatever rayquaza and, and them they don't really do that for me sure but I, I seeing them as threats more than necessarily good or bad but just like forces of nature I do think that that distance from them adds to it. I mean, you look at their designs and how ancient they look, and I love that ancient being motif that carries over with the other generate uh, other legendaries of this generation, right? Jirachi and the uh, the Reggie trio, they all look like they are ancient beings. The design of Deoxys and his alien appearance obviously is also really cool to me. I know you want to fuck him about it. I don't know how I feel personally. Uh, I guess he's a switch. Because yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Like I could be whatever you want me to be. Deoxys picking the speed form and coming really quickly every single time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> speed form is also hot. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. All right. But something I really like about this generation is that your rivals are your friends and not just some dickhead like Blue or Silver in the first two generations. Well, I, I think there's like something to be said for both, but I, I get what you mean for sure. I mean, there's just like, this is the generation where it does feel like these are people becoming more characters and representations. So there are people who are genuinely supporting you throughout the journey besides your mom who are is just like saying like, you know what, you know, good job, good luck. We're happy for you. You have um, May or Brendan, depending on who you pick, who is a genuinely supportive friend. And then there's Wally, this meek, kind kid who also desperately wants to kick your ass. How do you feel about the rivals in this game? Um, so, I mean, I think Wally's annoying. <laughs> I like... I don't, again, we kept joking about it, but it's like it's like this kid with asthma. And I'm about to beat his ass. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> you have to to progress in the game. You have to beat this kid. Like when I was a kid, I was really mad because like Ralts is like super hard to get. The chance of encounter is like pretty low, and then so I was like kind of jealous of, on a, on a, in a way, I guess. Um, like a lot easier to get in Diamond and Pearl if I remember right, because I would get a Gallade, you know, once they introduced the uh, the Dawnstone and all that stuff. But yeah, in Gen Three, like I remember like. Ralts is hard to get. This kid's got one. I want one. Fuck him. I'm going to beat his ass. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like this, this playthrough for whatever reason is like the, I feel like the hardest time I ever had with the game. I feel like when I was a kid, I pretty much breezed through it. I don't remember ever having like such a difficult time. Do you think maybe that's because you're trying to brute force the experience in preparation for this episode? Mm, I, I don't think so because I like the big issue is that I kept, I kept going into encounters under leveled. Sounds like you're trying to brute force it. But I, that's the thing is like, again, I'm like fast forward two times in this game. And so I'm like fighting everybody. I'm getting every drop of EXP. And maybe it's because I swapped out like what my team was a few times. So I had to like kind of start from scratch with a few Pokemon like later in the game, which I don't typically do. I usually have my team more or less chosen by like gym five. And with this, it was like, ah, well, you know, let's do a, let's, let's pick us up a Swablu, like kind of late in the game and do an Altaria instead of the trap inch, because I had the, uh, the Agron, which I didn't typically do. I think I only did Agron like once before. And so he had earthquake and rock tomb. So I was like, what's the point of having a ground type dragon? Um, but it did change how the game was played. And I like you heard my frustration with Wallace because I tore through the Elite Four, no problem. But I would get to Wallace and he would just whip my dick. I'd like go back. You know, you lose like half your money. I feel like they changed that. I feel like I don't think they did. 
I don't think it's half your money. I think it's just because you die less often in the later games. Maybe, yeah. Because they, they, you don't have the resources that the later games give you in terms of experience shares and full team experience points and things like that. Yeah, I remember Emerald changes the champion on you in like a wild untelegraphed bait and switch because it's Steven Stone and Ruby Sapphire. It was objectively cooler. Way cooler. Yeah. With a Metagross, like I don't think you even see a Beldum. No, he has he has ancient Pokemon at his yeah. disposal, and it's so fucking cool. And like you get to fight him in Emerald, but he's twenty levels stronger than he is in the yeah. uh, Ruby Sapphire. Uh, he's basically the game's equivalent of fighting Red in Pokemon Which Silver. Which is neat. I just I don't know. It just doesn't hit the same like yeah. as him being the champion. He feels like the champion in Ruby and Sapphire, especially since he just come off of fighting Juan, who was where Wallace was in the eighth gym. In yeah, the, it's just like Sapphire. two water type guys. It's like I just don't. I do wonder because like there's such an emphasis on the water stuff in Gen three. If that's why, and I'll be honest, I kind of forgot that there was like that was such a big aspect of it. But between like dive and waterfall and surf, like. Almost half of that game is traversing between water cities and stuff. It, yeah. it it feels like a fourth of it, but really, like at least a third of that game is doing that stuff. Sure, but to that end, the game is also about ancient beings, and yeah. Stephen is very much like a guy who's sure. all about yeah. that shit. So you would think that thematically that'd be the final, and it, it kind of is the final boss of the game in the same way again that Red is and Silver, yeah. but it just feels out of the way because it's not the champion. You are addressing the water thing a little bit, so I'm gonna jump ahead i usually ask this a little later what is something about this game that you wish it did better like what like we we've gestured at some of the the complaints that this game has but what are your personal issues with the game again like i think the battle tent and battle frontier stuff is just it just feels so like tacked on i just don't care i think the later games with the pokemon contests and stuff do a little bit better of a job of like incorporating that. Cause I think, what is it? Puffins as you start making those in gen four. Yes. Yeah. And so there's like, you know, there's like these like mini games and whatnot that encourage you to do that stuff. And I think one of the gym leader, Oh yeah. The ghost type gym leader with the drift limbs in gen four is a Pokemon contest champion type deal. And I think that's neat. It like ties the world in a little bit better. And I, that's the kind of stuff that I appreciate. It's like, again, like talking about Norman doesn't really have like a, he doesn't have a thing, you know, figure out what you do. Like, I just, uh, <laughs> I do wonder, it's like, maybe there's a way that they could have done that stuff a little bit better. Also, another thing that this game, I feel like really jumps the ball with is uh, Meteor Falls. Like, it's such a interesting place. And, you know, the Soul Rocks and the Lunatones and whatnot. And, you know, that's the only place you can get bag Bagon, Bagon, whatever. I, I think so. Yeah. And so it's like, it sh it should be a bigger deal than it is, but like it blows my mind that that cave is it's at the top left of the map, and like once you go through it for like the plot stuff, it never encourages you to come back through it, which they do a really good job of in Gen Four with I think it's Mount Coronet because you have to like basically Metroidvania that whole mountain. You have to go through it like three or four times because it splits the the map in half. You know what I mean? And yeah. I yeah, so it's like I have issues with the game and and whatnot, but like literally just now I'm, I'm literally complaining about things and then acknowledging well they do a better job in gen 4 even if i don't like gen 4 as much so yeah i think gen 4 i mean every problem that gen 3 has gen 4 has more of i'm specifically talking about the hm thing because you talked about it just oh now. my god surf, yeah. surf dive and waterfall bunch of bullshit man three, three water hms and they're they're decent attacks don't get me wrong but i only kept surf i got rid of the other two no i mean and the other thing is like the 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 first half of those hms just fucking suck cut what is that rock smash nothing 
yeah. Flash, that's not even a tech, man. No, I think is it Sword and Shield where they find? Oh, is it is it Sword and Shield where they're finally just like look? Sun you- and Moon, I think, is the one that finally like does it as like, oh, you have these Pokemon that serve these purposes outside of your standard team. I yeah, it's and, and which is cool. I I like the idea. It's like, hey, you have like earned the ability to like just snow white a Pokemon over to you to like do whatever. And like, that's cool. I I dig that. And it makes more sense. It's like, you have to unlock this level of command over Pokemon as like a, a, like literally a force of nature where he's like, it just bogs you down in the, in the games with, you know, like you have to have a Pokemon with rock rock smash with you. If you want to like traverse these caves, like I was going back through and doing a little bit of level grinding before my, uh, final final fight with wallace and i got to victory road and i was like oh yeah i have to have my uh, vigor off with rock smash and strength or else i'm just i can't get through this cave and it's like that's bullshit it just it sucks yeah speaking to this game's um issues a little bit the ign review for pokemon alpha sapphire and omega ruby originally published on november 14th 2014 became infamous for the summary at the end of the article where the game was given a score of 7.8 out of 10 with the criticisms, too many HMs, and too much water. Too much water became a point of contention among readers and Pokemon fans, and the phrase 7.8 out of 10, too much water, became a meme in gamer circles. The thing is, this is completely valid criticism to me. Yeah. I love these games. I am nostalgic for these games more than any other Pokemon game. But especially if you read this review in context and not just believe in bad faith that someone marked a game down and otherwise unimpeachably perfect video game i think it is a reasonable criticism that this game has too much of the water stuff going on there um like you said the entire bottom section of that map is yeah it's nuts it really is like once you get past uh lily cove and yeah it's it's crazy it is it's 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 a bit too much um the diving stuff is cool but it does feel too sluggish and the reward for having it isn't as that's. And again, that's my thing is like, it doesn't, it doesn't incentivize you enough to do it. Like it feels not like an afterthought, but like undercooked, I guess is the the way to put it. Because I was telling you, um, those of you familiar with this game, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this episode, you either like know a lot about it or you don't know much about it at all. Um, Route 108, which is like the very bottom of the, the map, it connects Brawley City to Slateport, and you can go all the way down and around to Pacific Dog and all that stuff. There's an abandoned ship in there that I just didn't, I totally forgot about. And like, there's a, you know, a, a couple items in there and this and that. And I realized that the game not once incentivizes you to make that trip. And I was like, oh man. So when I went, as, when I was going back and like, you know, just trying to grind as much as possible, I, I did that stuff. But it, it did feel like a failing on the game's part in a way that it's like, there's this whole section of the map, like this whole like huge stretch that I just didn't, I was not required to even look at until I'm literally facing the champion and I'm just trying to level grind my uh, my Gyarados to a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, Kind of I get what you mean because it is a Pokemon game and our expectations for that are a little different. But to that point, and this is probably me on my Elden Ring shit, I do like the idea that not everything is. No, no, no. I, I, let me, let me clarify. I like the idea of like, Hey, there's hidden stuff. Like for instance, in meteor falls, once you have waterfall, you can go back up and there's this whole extra section with these stronger trainers and like pockets of that kind of stuff that rolls. I'm super into that. My thing is for there to be such an emphasis on the water stuff, like there's slate port city, which is like a, a port and, um, you know, the, the, the islands, there's multiple Island cities and there's, 
three, I think. Pacific Dog, uh, Lily Cove, and Sutopolis. Moss Deep, too. Moss Deep, oh, Moss Deep, yeah, sorry. Lily Cove is the one that you jump off from. Yeah. But for them to like have such an emphasis on that stuff, but then to also like not really... I guess my thing is, why is Stephen Stone not like a marine biologist? You know what I mean? Sure. I wish that like maybe... Hey, like you get to a certain point and then it's like, again, like Steven's like, Hey, we're going to take the submarine down to the lair or something like that. Instead, it's like, ah, kid, we'll meet you there. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know where we're going. Like there, I feel like there could have been a bigger emphasis on that aspect for it to be such a big, like such a big part of the game. If that makes sense. Like I, I think, I mean, your, your criticism are valid. That's your experience with them. Sure. Yeah. So, it's I mean, like, there's a, there's a, like, there's a lot of like texture to the, the the world like um with the is it mount pyre and and whatnot and i just feel like none of it really comes together in a way that's like super duper i don't know meaningful in a way that again like i think i think mount coronet in uh i think that's what it's called in diamond and pearl yeah, that's what yeah, it's called. that feels like such an integral part of that map to the point that it's like Hey, I can't go in this entrance. I have to come back in this way and do this and whatever. And again, the HM stuff is annoying, but I do like that it's pushing you to it more. Right. So if, if we're talking about like criticisms of the game, I think the, the water stuff just feels underbaked. I, I I completely get that. In terms of other issues that you have with the game, do you think subsequent Pokemon games have addressed them, or do you think it's just they're creating new problems? No, I mean it's it's tough because like Again, like like a lot of the criticisms I had, like again, like Mount Coronet addresses my uh, geography thing, and the um, oh, like the the Pokemon contest stuff. Like I, I think that the next gen does fix things, and it's it, but it's the issue that you run into with a game that has a release so often is hey, we're updating it, we're expanding, we're adding new ideas and whatnot, and it's like okay, well, does that make these things that I used to enjoy redundant? Does it really add anything other than change for change's sake. I kind of, I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh! like all the time. I played every Saturday at my local comic shop and it got to the point where it was like, okay, we have fusions and then we have synchros and then we have this and then we have that. And it's like, okay, like I guess, but it like, it felt so convoluted at a certain point that it's like, just, uh, you know, I want, I want what I, what I'm coming here for. And like what I'm coming to Pokemon for personally is like, I want to explore. I want to catch these Pokemon. I want to train, I want to train these Pokemon up. I want to get through the story and, and see as much of this, this place and whatnot and things like battle frontier and Pokemon contest, they don't add anything to that for me personally. Like, and I never played sun and moon, but I know there's like a whole thing where it's like, they get rid of gym leaders and they do something else. And I think that's interesting in theory, but I don't know how people feel about that. And then Arceus again is the first place where it's like, this feels like a natural progression. And I like the idea. It's like, well, we're going to like pull you back in time a little bit because if, if everything's too industrialized, then it's not as fun. There's a little bit of, Pokemon by way of Rambo, like just running out in the woods and hiding from, uh, I can't remember. I can never remember that, uh, hippo Pokemon, but like that thing's scary as shit in Arceus. Cause yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's just this behemoth hanging out in mud. And it's like, if you get too close to it, you are, your shit is wrecked. That game just feels completely different in a great way. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I'm, I'm super curious about Scarlet and Violet because it's, it seems like it's taking some lessons from the Arceus stuff. I don't know how that works with like Game Freak having like multiple teams working on whatever, how much, you know, how much they're talking to each other. But it's one of those things where it's like Arceus 
as much as I love that game, does feel a little underbaked. And so I'm so curious to see where we're at with Pokemon in five years time. Like for yeah. sure. I mean, it does feel like training wheels, but in, yeah, a, in an yeah. exciting way. No, it is. It's, it's, Hey, we are, you know, we're, we're dipping our toe into this new lane of what this could be because shining, uh, shining pearl and diamond, brilliant diamond or whatever it was, uh, crap. I, I couldn't stand it. It felt like the most like bare bones thing. Like, Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby felt substantial. Like they felt like really meaningful remakes of those games. Fire Red and Leaf Green too. But the uh, the Gen Four remakes just did nothing for me. And I was honestly like kind of discouraged going into Arceus. And then it just was like, no, 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 no. Pokemon's good. Yeah, you're Obi Wan before going into Andor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're Obi Wan. Like Andor's fantastic. Me and Kiefer aren't even caught up. We're like two episodes behind still. And it's like I wouldn't say it's like the best Star Wars ever. I still think that's the Last Jedi, but like it's really, really goddamn good. It's top five Star Wars. It's yeah. It's no. It's incredible stuff. And it again, it's like the miracle of Andor is like it's not just good Star Wars. It's good TV that happens to be Star Wars. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it like uh, the, the Gen 4 remakes definitely were this kind of like, man, I've got a bad taste in my mouth. And then Arceus was like, no, 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 no. Like, you love this shit. You just forgot how much you love this shit. So with Gen 4, I think when as a kid, I even felt this Gen 3 felt so fast. And that was because of the aforementioned 60 frames per second stuff. It felt new. It felt colorful. It felt like a meaningful expansion. I love Gen 4 as a kid. Since then, I do not feel as warm on it. But a big thing about that game is how slow it is. Gen 4? Gen 4. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, like, hey, I appreciate the Mount Coronet stuff in that, but also I remember as a kid being like, God damn it, this shit again? So it's like, there's a push and pull, a give and take with that kind of stuff. It's like... There's a literal slow pace of everything, um, but there's also the, the the slowness of the battles because, again, that frame rate is plummeting. The battles just take fucking forever. Gen 3 just feels like such an advancement after the first two games. And then Gen 4 feels like a step backwards that 3 just stands out so much among them because of that for me. Gen 5 is ultimately my favorite. I think sometimes it depends. Again, I'm nostalgic for Gen 3 to the point that it blinds me a bit. But Black and White and Black 2 and White 2 in particular are standout games in a Pokemon franchise. The way that 3 felt like an advancement, 5 felt like an advancement. Uh, it's incredible. But we're getting a bit away from the game that we we're talking about, Pokemon Emerald, a bit. The Hoenn region has some of my favorite Pokemon designs just ever. What are your favorite Pokemon designs, uh, especially with this game? Okay, so like, again, I'm, I, I draw, I'm an artist. I pay attention to this kind of stuff a lot, especially because of my my thing with toys, right? I, I can never remember how to pronounce it. The, the Simpsons guy, Matt Groening, Groening, Groening. Yeah, he's got the, you know, like he talks about like this the silhouette rule. I don't know that it's his thing, but he talks about it a lot. Like if, if you can look at something and immediately recognize it by its silhouette, you've done a good job. Obviously, who's that Pokemon is literally just that, but for the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at something and just be like, oh, I know exactly what that is. And I think the first four gens all have really, really strong visual styles. Uh, Gen 1 has that, like, kind of what you were saying earlier, it's it's this, like, raw, organic look. Like, a, a, a small detail that I think illustrates it perfectly, and I, I, I understand how specific this is, but Charmeleon has that little nub on his head, right? And it's not, like, perfectly angled off, you know what I mean? It's not a fin, it's like a, it's a nub. And then, you know, with Charizard, that expands out into, like, these kind of, like, uh, again, like like an organic, like, bony, almost, protrusion off of it, as opposed to... Like Gen 2 is more rounded off, it's more pastel. Even like there's no like hard lines, it feels like in Gen 2. Not that there isn't, just it doesn't feel like it. It's a it's a very soft aesthetic in the sense of like a crocodile stomach, right? It's this little 
shit-eating crocodile water-type Pokemon. And even his little belly, it looks like Togepi. You know, it's got yeah. those, those like rounded off geometric shapes on it with the pastel colors. And so, yeah, Gen 1's like really raw and, and organic. Gen 2 is, is that more pastel, pastel like rounded off look. And then Gen 3 is... It's the early 2000s, baby. Everything is sharp. Everything is saturated and is it, it fucking rules. It's it's just they are great design, like almost across the board. I'm trying to think of like a, a Pokemon design that I like actively dislike in this game. Maybe I can never remember. What is Spoink's uh, evolution? Um, it's like Grumpig or something like that. Yeah, I don't like him. I don't know. His smug aura mocks me, but like <laughs> as like like literally just like listing off like some of my favorites from this uh this gen Gardevoir incredible it looks like um it's elegant yeah it's like like I always think of um what is uh what's Onion's mom in Steven Universe Vidalia Vidalia it's got that like you know it's like it looks like it's like like there's layers to it and it's unflurling a little little bit you know and then um, Blaziken, obviously incredible. I, I, honestly, all three of the starters, like across the board, like I would say the least interesting of them is the middle. Uh, was it Marshstomp? It's Mudkip, Marshstomp, Swampert. Swampert. Yeah, yeah. Marshstomp's like fine. He's he's all right. Um, he kind of suffers from the War Turtle thing of like this doesn't feel different enough. But yeah, Gardevoir, Blaziken, uh, Mudkip specifically is like. I feel like the perfect Gen 3 Pokemon. He's like, he's he's small and he's cute, but even still, it's like he's got these sharp lines on him, like all over. The colors are super saturated. The There's a lot of, in Gen 3 specifically, it feels like, um, I call it like South Park mouth, where it's like there's two lines that meet. It's, it's They don't have lips. They just have like these openings almost. Like, does it sure. make sense? Like, Tropius is another one that has that kind of like, you know, like the South Park Canadians, where it's just like up and down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Agron, incredible. I mean, it's just like basically, it's like, hey, what if, uh, what if like Mecha Godzilla was a Pokemon, or, or you know, like like armor plated Godzilla? Absol obviously is like the ultimate scene type Pokemon. I know Kiefer loves Absol with yeah, his entire being. Yeah, sure do. Flygon uh, is like this super cute, rounded off dad bod dragon, but he's got goggles on and like he gets hella aer- aerodynamic when he's flying. Like uh, Salamence obviously is just a incredible design. One that I think doesn't get enough credit is Camerupt. I think Camerupt is a really solid design. He's got the, the little smoke rings on his side. He's got a freaking volcano on his back. And it's that one feels like um, Slugma and Macargo done right. Like, it's like we had an idea for something. We didn't quite nail it. We came back around with number one Camerupt and we just knock it out of the park. But he's also four times weak to water. So fuck him. He's useless to me. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite Gen 3 Pokemon um, is Ludicolo. I love Ludicolo. I have always loved Ludicolo. I just... He's got great vibes, man. I would love to have a beer with him. He seems fantastic. Uh, I love him in Detective Pikachu for his like like one little scene. Ah, just... <laughs> yeah. there, there's a lot of Ludicolo in um, Pokemon Coliseum. So oh yeah, because uh, Mirror B, yeah, the, the disco guy uses yes. him. Yeah, exactly. And I just remember always being like, man, you know, like these things are annoying, but fuck if they're not like fun. They just they have great vibes. But honestly, and I I understand how this sounds. Uh, my my pick for the best Gen three design is Altaria. Altaria, however you pronounce it. And it's it's because it goes against the aesthetic of the rest of the region. It doesn't have these sharp lines on it. It doesn't have that, like, like a lot of color to it. It's 
It's very simple in a way that almost feels more Gen 2, but because of that, it is so like deceptive. So when it starts whipping your ass, you're like, whoa, what is happening? Like this thing just used Earthquake and it's just this beautiful cloud bird Pokemon that's using Dragon Breath and just wrecking shop. Um, I, but as far as like, like the most indicative of Gen 3, it's probably Mudkip. Uh, but my favorite is probably Ontario. I think about design a lot. Like I'm, yeah. No, I mean, that's why I wanted to ask you because you're an artist. You have to consider these things and you have a more careful eye. You you have the language to sort of understand when something does or doesn't work for you. Can you think of any standout Pokemon from this generation that just straight up do not appeal to you at all? Like I said, Spoinks Evolution, I'm not crazy about. I think cast form, like base form sucks, but like the minute that it transforms, I'm like, man, that is cool. That is so neat. Like yeah. the the sunny version with like the gel around. It's just rad. It's, just, it's, it's such a great idea for Pokemon. Not crazy about Kecleon. Kecleon, no? I don't know. I, I just feel like it needs something. I don't know what it is. Um, it seems like a Pokemon that should have an evolution to me. Yeah, like they like yeah, exactly. And then the only other one that I like have strong feelings on, I guess, would be the Cacturn. I think Cacturn's fine. I, I I don't think that Cacturn is. You already have a Grass Dark type with Shift Tree in this gen. So one, why retread that? And two, why do it worse? Like, I don't, I don't really get that. Um, I, for some reason, Cacturn just apply. Uh, like, I think it's because Cacnea is just so cute to me. I, I love Cacnea. I, I, I guess my thing is like, I wish Cacturn was a different type combo. I wish it was just a something just a little bit different. I don't know. I, I, you've given you give me a lot to think about, but I, I still have my convictions. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I like, like, why not make that one like a grass ground type? Cause it's a cactus you know and you find it in that area anyway and then you have a new unique time combination for it but i i don't know okay i mean i appreciate your 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 artist take on these pokemon Ooh, crawdon's a really good one i mean i love crawdon i love oh, I always yeah. have oh man duskull dusclops not crazy about chuppet banat but duskull dusclops is really really rad and then what is uh what's the gen 4 evolution dusk dusk noir yeah dusk noir that one goes hard too yeah The music of this game gets a mixed reaction relative to the rest of the series. Criticism in particular centered on the abundance of trumpets and horns and a lot of the soundtrack. What do you think of this game's music? Okay, so we were just talking about how much I love tr- horns the other day in relation to like Japanese breakfast. So like I, yeah, I mean, Hoenn's music like always worked for me. I, I never really had complaints with it. Um, like again, like even with it at two times speed, playing it the way that I've been playing it, there's many, many points where I'm still listening to the music in this like chip tune, like, you know, sped up way. Um, core. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, it, it works for me, but at the same time, like it doesn't get in my head the way that like Gen 1, Gen 2 music does, if that makes sense. Like there's, music from those first two generations that just i don't know they just like has it's ingrained itself in my brain and gen 3 doesn't really hit the same for me uh i i don't know it's i need to revisit it more but yeah no i love horns and i never had a complaint with that for sure like i like there was i think gen 5 or maybe no it's x and y gen 6 gen 6 yeah, yeah gen 6 music kind of loses me a little bit and i don't know what it is about it, but i remember like the french that, what 
French. That's is it why. the French? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Fucking French. Oh, oh, oh. But uh, I just, it didn't connect with me musically the same way. And so I would, I remember with that one, like specifically, I would turn the music down and I would like listen to other music. <laughs> no, I, I just, yeah, I just, I don't have a problem with Gen 3's music at all. No, I love it. The Little Root Town music, that first town, that just feels like home to me, right? That is just a, probably my gold standard for opening town music in a video game. I don't think there's anything in my definitive, this is a Pokemon song, is Goldenrod City from Pokemon Gold yes. and Silver. Yep. That is, that is my gold standard for Pokemon music. I don't think there is a single individual track I can think of that is at that level of Goldenrod City, but I do think it is a remarkably consistent soundtrack i love it there's something to the the fact that it has that those added layers that the game boy original wasn't capable of and we talked about this before on this long car ride where we were trying to like listen to the uh original first two generations of pokemon music and i was just admiring how complex those compositions were in such a limited cartridge with limited sound capabilities right i forget was were they available on streaming no, they're not. <laughs> no, Nintendo Nintendo is so cagey about everything. They don't have their, their music streaming on anything. We had to look up YouTube tracks to get them. And they've been trying to take their tracks off of YouTube, too. And like, how the fuck are we supposed to listen to these songs? Anyway, I do think the uh, Ruby Sapphire Emerald music, the Hoenn music, is really good. It's more musically evolved from the previous two gener- generations. Gives it this, like, epic, grand sweeping, oh, this is a next generation. This isn't your daddy's Pokemon anymore. At least it did when I got Pokemon Sapphire on my seventh birthday. It just felt new, bigger, and louder, and I appreciated that, and it's it stuck with me. I don't find any of the tracks uh, annoying or remotely anything like that. But I, I'm also sympathetic to ska music, so I don't know if that if that maybe yeah. I, it. Like I said, I, I love horns. So I I have no complaints with it. I'm trying to remember which track it was specifically that was like getting me a lot with this most recent one. I think it was like around Mallville, maybe near the bike path. And like getting, yeah, like that whole stretch kind of, I was just like really into the music. I, I had it cranked basically the entire time I was playing that stuff. Turn that shit the fuck up. This yeah. is my song. So we're wrapping up towards the end of this conversation here. Um, towards the end of an episode, I typically like to ask the guests if they have any recommendations based off of the game that we discussed or just based off of their taste in general. So presenting that question to you, Avery, what would you recommend to people who might like this game or just share your taste in general? Okay, yeah. So uh, this is a really weird specific thing and they came out around the same time. And so maybe that's why the design sensibilities feel so similar to me. Something that I think just feels the same as Gen 3, if that makes sense. And Kiefer, we just talked about it the other day, is Transformers Armada. Something about Transformers Armada is, I think it's like 2002, 2003. So it would have been, it would have lined up perfectly. And something about those design sensibilities, like the the angular, like accent colors and like a lot of saturation and whatnot, something about Transformers Armada really feels like Hoenn. Like if you told me that they took place in the same universe at the same time, with like the mini cons being hunted the same way Pokemon are. I, yeah, I uh, recently, like, again, I'm, I'm a big toy guy. And so I've recently uh, been throwing on Armada clips on YouTube just because there's some like updated toys coming out. 
yeah, it really struck that chord for me. As far as just Pokemon in general, I, I mean, if, I feel like if you like Pokemon, you know, like you like Pokemon. If you like, if you like Hoenn specifically, I'm trying to think of other things that fit that bill. Ooh, Transformers Armada, Transformers Animated also feels very Hoenn to me for some reason. I it's, maybe it's the again those those angular designs and whatnot. The the designs in that show are by uh, the the late great Derek J. Wyatt. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. I'm super upset uh, that he passed away so young this past year, but his uh, his work's fantastic. Uh, he did Scooby Doo Mystery Inc., which is you know pretty widely regarded as the best Scooby Doo of modern era. Uh, he did the Teen Titans cartoon, which uh, that's another thing that feels kind of Hoenny to me, if that makes sense in a way. Is, is the, original 2003 Teen Titans cartoon, which is also in that, you know, that time frame. Oh, I actually have a very specific connection to Pokemon Gen 3 and Teen Titans. So my birthday's on July 19th. I was born in 1996. I got Pokemon Sapphire on my seventh birthday, July 19th, 2003. The same day Teen Titans premiered on Toonami. Obviously, I love Pokemon. I love Teen Titans. And in a weird way, these two things are linked in an extremely specific way to me. So I just thought I'd contribute that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, as far as things I'm like currently consuming, we've got Andor, obviously, is fantastic. Uh, everybody loves Andor. The prison outfits feel kind of Hoenn in that, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Again, like the accent colors and stuff. They have like little orange stripes and stuff the way that like uh, a Pokemon would, I guess. I think we're just stoked that Star Wars looks good again. <laughs> it looks fantastic. It really does. Like, uh, not to get on too onto it, but it's like, it's just, it's so fantastic. It's like, we're a few episodes behind, but I also like don't really feel like in a rush to watch it. One, because the conversation around it isn't like, oh, what's going to happen this week? It's like, no, it's just it's letting its story play out the way a story should. It, you know, it's not Cameo City. I want to savor it. I'm taking my time with it. I, I don't think we've ever done two back to back except maybe the first bat bunch of episodes. So, yeah, no, it's definitely a, a show worth savoring. It feels mature. And the way that it is approaching its story as something besides, oh, I'm making a Star Wars story, like it feels like it's bringing something to Star Wars. And that makes a tremendous amount of difference in terms of how are we telling the story? How do characters interact with each other? What are meaningful consequences that we can give to the actions of this world? It, it, it just feels like mature storytelling that we've gotten from this franchise for the first time in like half a decade since uh, The Last Jedi. We talked about Andor a lot on this episode. I mean, like, this is my podcast. We could talk about whatever the fuck we want. That's true. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, what is the format? I, I don't, I'm not beholden to a producer. I'm my producer. I'm my everything. In terms of recommendations that I have, um, you actually gave me one because I was struggling because there is a lot of stuff that tries to replicate the feel of Pokemon, right? But there's never anything that reaches the heights of Pokemon in my mind. Like, Digimon has its entertainment value, but it isn't quite Pokemon. Something that I would recommend just because I love the sound of this game and because of how unique it is, especially in like the grand scheme of Pokemon. You mentioned it earlier, Avery, Jubilee by Japanese Breakfast. It's just a great horn heavy yes. album yes. worth listening to. It feels like if you if there was a song sung by like a, a modern pop artist, like I feel like Japanese Breakfast would be a good fit for the Pokemon universe. She recently did a song for a video game called Sable that came out last year. But no, Jubilee is an excellent album. Listen to that, especially if you like horns and you like the soundtrack of Pokemon Emerald. Check that out. Um, people have joked that um, the album closer for the most recent uh, Carly Rae Jepsen album, um, 
lo- the loneliest the time. loneliest time yeah that, that, i'm coming back for you baby love joke that that song in parts sounds like a uh a pokemon town song so yeah loneliest time by carly ray jepson and japanese breakfast uh jubilee listen to those turning that question around a little bit how do you think that your taste has been informed by pokemon or pokemon gen 3 specifically yeah for sure uh again like i'm a big collector i've always been a collector of things um pokemon cards was a an initial obsession of mine like even when i was a little kid i had a lot of pokemon cards i had them neatly tucked away in binders and whatnot but as as far as design like i really now that i think about it i i could probably trace a lot of like my knowledge of design work and that like you know just aesthetics in general back to pokemon because like even as a kid it's like i understood like generation to generation it looks different for a reason like you know if if gen 2 looked like gen 1 why why would we bother you know it's like we don't need dragonite again and so it always annoys me when we see that in pokemon because at this point we're 900 deep and it does feel like there's like some repetition It, it is interesting to think about maybe on a level pokemon taught me a lot of the lessons that i learned about design and what i like and what i don't like also i'm just a, a very colorful guy like you can ask Kiefer, I, I tend to dress up pretty colorfully mm-hmm. and i i'm not big on on monotone stuff and i've always been attracted to bright colors and i think pokemon and like you know that aesthetic like you know people joke all the time about like anime clothes going hard but damn it if they don't like yeah, right <laughs> it's like it's like you know when you're in third grade all you want to do is dress like brendan with his like headband and his side satchel and fingerless gloves and whatnot and i always thought he had white hair it, it's just that that's part of his hat and that kind of, obsessed, it part of his hat? It obsessed me that he doesn't have white hair and it's a hat oh yeah I've always thought it was white hair too. Um, yeah, I really wish it was white hair. Yeah, now we're having that. Uh, we're having like the the SpongeBob moment. It's like it's not a hat. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of Pokemon's influence on me, I think that the social component that I talked about earlier, right, that has shaped my life in a social way. I like bonding with people, having shared connections about Pokemon, alleviated the shame of liking something that was culturally perceived as nerdy because it was a phenomenon. Other people liked it. It was an easy way to connect to people because we all had that shared experience. I was not the most socially graceful child. I'm not the most socially graceful adult even, but that was something that I could easily fall back on and make those social connections with. So I'm grateful to Pokemon and how it made me, how it functioned as social lubricant for me for years and creating lifelong friendships out of being able to comfortably talk about nerdy topics like Avery is my best friend for 10 years and being able to talk about these subjects has definitely nurtured a friendship that I greatly value. So that's something Pokemon has given me, but let's stop being corny for a second. I have a segment for you. If you want to, if you want to play one with me, Sure. Uh, I made this game. Uh, you've heard of fuck, Mary kill, get ready for fuck fight or food. <laughs> This might become a Patreon exclusive because I don't want to get us canceled. <laughs> uh, before I end this episode, I do have some listener submitted comments that were submitted to the Twitter page uh, at SelectPodStart. Uh, I want to read a few of them with you on the show, Avery. This one from Alec at Sharia Law says, Emerald is one of my favorite games ever. I love that freaky dragon. Another person who uh, sort of covers our criticisms, but also balances them with their appreciation for the game. Undercover butt lover. (laughs) (laughs) 
at covert butt lover <laughs> says favorite of the series too much water was a valid criticism double battles are the best thing added to the pokemon games we never really discussed oh yeah that's new yeah that's the, that's new to the series oh i love them like i like yeah. like there's a lot of opportunities in the game where you can like wait for someone to turn and do them one at a time and i never did i actively sought out the double battles i thought it was a really fun way to do the type combination thing i i do think that they they hadn't like, for instance, Surf would only affect your opponent's team in this game, which I think they changed later on. Earthquake, though, did affect everybody. It was weird how it worked in this one. Um, but yeah, I, I like actively sought those fights out. I thought that was the fact that there's a whole gym about it rules. No, it's great. That's what I love about Colosseum and XD Gale of Darkness, too, is that every battle is a double battle. In Just that about, game. yeah. Yeah. Like you don't do one-on-one battles unless you are unless you really only have one Pokemon each. Yeah. I, I actually love that the games emphasize that. I just feel like it makes more sense in a way i don't know if there's like there's a lot more that goes into it it does also feel like the games have been chasing that high of like something innovative for a while because i remember gen 5 introduced like the triple rotating battles too and those mm, have their those, yes those, yeah 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 and those are cool don't get me wrong but i don't think anything is ever going to like be as big of a game changer as the double battles well so like there's a moment right when i was fighting wallace where like i had a type advantage where i uh he was it was tentacruel versus my agron and like obviously poison doesn't affect steel and he just withdrew it. He was like, nope, I'm not doing that. And I was like, you know what? Like, good for the AI for knowing to do that. But also, like, if this was a double battle, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, like, it, I think it adds something to, like, the, the, the deciding the when and the where and the whatnot. So, yeah, no. Double battles are great. At G. Martin writes, said, I was really attached to Leaf Green. So going to Gen 3 was weird. I didn't really like the vast majority of the Gen 3 Pokemon, but the Gen 3 Legendaries were way better than Gen 1s. And I like that there was a super hard post game. Oh, and uh, I also feel like I was the one kid who cared way more about contests than gyms. I wish they played with that even more. Maybe there will be a game with three or four different paths to becoming a master someday. Which, I do kind of like the idea of like having more than one way to play Pokemon. Like, the anime really emphasized... Oh, Iris? Uh, yeah. Of course you like the contest and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, again, I like it more in Gen 4, for sure. The anime, I remember with uh, the Pokemon Advance seasons, May had her own journey of becoming the Pokemon contest, right? Like, that was a new way of exploring advancement in that kind of Pokemon world. I don't think we're remotely at the point of having a Pokemon MMO. We're having classes and different routes that you can take as a trainer. Um I don't think we're remotely there yet, but that is a cool idea to play around with. Like, you just want to be a person that's just really fucking good no, at the I think contest. like I think, like, the idea that Pokemon can only battle and, like, it's the only, like, that's the only integration into the, this world is preposterous, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I don't know, like, I, I think a lot about, like, whenever you see, uh, I think in Gen 3, it opens up with you're moving in and it's like a Vigoroth is like unloading the truck or something like that, yeah. you know? And it's like, man, there's like career paths involving Pokemon. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. I think about that kind of stuff a lot for sure. So that's my favorite stuff about detective Pikachu. It's just like the way that Pokemon are integrated into a city. Like there's a bartender, right? Ludicolo is the one that delivers drinks to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it rules. Like I, Jigglypuff is at the bar singing. Yeah. He, like she's a lounge singer. Yeah. Yeah. I like those kind of integrations, but yeah, I really wish they decide to do more than just battling and not do things as side features or spin-off games for everything. Because like the Pokemon Ranger stuff, that is really cool. It'd be cool if there were a Pokemon game where you could be a trainer or you could just do Pokemon Ranger stuff if you wanted to do that. That's going to be it for listener comments today. Thank you everybody for writing in. And if you want to write in yourself, please do so at the Twitter page at SelectPodStart. That's everything that I have for this episode. Avery, listen, 
You're my best friend. It's always great to talk to you. I'm so happy to actually have you on this episode. Please, please promote the fuck out of yourself before I end this episode today. Uh, so my name is Avery with no E. So A-V-R-Y. Uh, my full name is Avery Robin Ott, O-T-T. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram, Twitter, at Avery Robin Ott. Um, I have my Etsy store, which is Hot Soda Designs. Check it out. Um, I just make like enamel pins and whatnot. I'm, I've been sleeping on it for a little bit, but I'm, I'm back on the grind now. So check me out there. I've got a lot of exciting things coming in the next few months for sure. Yeah, I just keep an eye on Kiefer Space because there will hopefully be some more Avery stuff there soon if you enjoyed listening to me speak. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about what the future holds for me and Avery being a part of that. So watch this space. Thank you so much for being on here, Avery. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I am your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this Engagement helps the show and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Pokemon Emerald or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me on Twitter while it is still around at Danny Vegito, and you will find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for the show was made by my best friend and today's guest, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well. All right. I think that's it. Smell you later. I think you better leave, Brandon.